Hey guys, it's Colton, uh, one of your hosts of the Manga Mavericks podcast. Uh, I'm just coming in here to uh, basically talk to you guys about some uh, some Patreon stuff before you start the show. And before you skip this part of the show, uh, I want you to hear me out because uh, you may or may not be interested in this uh, in this uh, in the special deal we have coming up here. So. As you know, the best way to support us is to become a patron of our Patreon at patreon.com slash mavericks. You could do so for as low as $2. Uh, $2 gets you basically early access to whatever podcast we have edited uh, before the release dates. Of course, that depends on when we have them edited. Um, and then at the $5 tier... Uh, you are guaranteed at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month. And uh, at the end of this episode here, we uh, we will talk about our bonus podcast for uh, for the end of December here. Uh, and that is a special Shonen Jump retrospective where uh, Lum and I invite our good friend and Shonen Jump expert, uh, or I should say, expert enthusiast, whichever works, uh, Maxi Bernard of uh, Friendship Effort Victory. And we basically discuss as much of Weekly Shonen Jump's current lineup as uh, as much as possible. Uh, I think we cover we, we covered pretty much uh, not everything. I think there were like a handful of series that n- none of us were really either reading or caught up on. Um, but we do cover as much as we can. We at least cover all the really, really, really big stuff. But, uh, yeah, we spent at least three hours talking about our thoughts on, uh, Shut and Jump throughout the year and what we think of each, uh, series in particular as the year has gone by. And that was a really fun discussion. Uh, I can't wait for people to listen to it. Uh, and to ensure, uh, this is, this is the most important part here to ensure that it is listened to as many people as possible. Uh, Again, like I said, normally we kind of put our bonus podcast behind the $5 paywall here for uh, $5 patrons. Um, But for this podcast in particular, we are going to make it available for everybody at the $2 tier and beyond. So you can listen to this podcast for as low as $2. And that is basically going to be our gift to you for the holidays. And so, yeah, if you want to listen to us talk about Show to Jump for three hours, uh, this is it. Like, all you need to do is become a $2 backer on our Patreon, and you'll have access to that podcast. And, uh, yeah, so, and so, yeah, uh, we thought this would be a good way for, uh, for, for more people to be able to listen, uh, you know, kind of bump down the price a little bit, so, so that, uh, hopefully more people can listen to it. And so, yeah, if you have $2 on you, you will literally get three hours worth of content. And uh, personally, uh, like I said, I, I thought it was a really fun discussion with Maxi. Um, we don't normally get the talk about... I mean, we, we talk about Show to Jump, but we but we can only dedicate uh, so much time to Show to Jump so often. So this was... This 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 was a this was a good way to uh, talk about all the series we were reading and stuff. And boy, I'll tell you, uh, we had some we definitely had some hot takes during a certain series. I won't name which ones. Uh, that'll be for you, the listener, to find out. Again, if you sign up for our $2 tier, that podcast will be available for you to listen to. So yeah, uh, I hope you guys go listen to that. Again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. That's where that will be available. Uh, that will be up on December 31st. And so yeah, with all that out of the way, uh, I'm going to let you guys go so you can enjoy our, our our golden comedy podcast episode happy holidays guys 
This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from AllComic.com, episode 107. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I am Colton. And I'm Ulam Ramayasha, and today we are talking about a manga perfect for this cold, wintry season because we're going up to Hokkaido and we're going to be searching for gold and we're going to be fighting bears and we're going to get chilly in all the wintry snow and the cold because we are reading Golden Kamui by Satoru Noda and we're going to be joined on but with some awesome guests and some big Golden Kamui fans. We've got Diana Sorelli, cosplayer extraordinaire and we've got Kelly from one panel later we're really excited to share with you our conversation on golden con with you folks we had a ton of fun going over like all the fascinating interesting aspects about the series and what we love about the storytelling and the characters especially but in addition to that we've also got some news to talk about some really fun pieces some somber pieces but we've also got in addition to that even more because we've got new Shonen Jump Simul pubs to talk about with Zip Man and the Gravity Boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. The the Golden Kamui conversation was was really fun. Um. And everything. I I really loved having both Diana and uh, Kelly on. Uh. It was it was really fun. But before any of that, we should uh we should get on with some of our news here, and uh, we have at least two lists to talk about. Uh. One of them will take less time than the other uh because we have the new york times graphic books bestseller list for december to talk about and again uh really the only thing manga wise worth mentioning is that uh volume one of my hero academia made it to the 11th place on the list that's uh 11 out of 15 with such comics uh ranking above it as uh again uh smile and watchmen guts uh all, all those all those classic western comics and whatnot so uh but yeah no again not not much other manga on the list i'm i'm a little surprised that the first volume in particular uh landed on the list but I, but again that that just shows that uh a lot of people lately have probably you know have just been getting into the series from volume one i mean it's i guess it's not that surprising because we we always see volume one on uh on the uh, on the book scan list in particular, I feel like every month at this point, because again, more and more people are getting into My Hero Academia. But I guess speaking of the book scan list, uh, we might as well just move on to that list in particular, because volume one of My Hero Academia, again, ranked number three on the monthly book scan list. So again, a, a huge, huge rise in, uh, in My Hero Academia volume one in particular, which is interesting. Um, and I guess as far as like everything else, my hero academia. So we have volume two, uh, ranking at number seven with volume 21, ranking at number 10, volume three, ranking at number 12, along with volume four, ranking at number 18 at the bottom of the list there. Not a lot of new volumes of my hero academia. Re- really the newest volume, I believe it's volume 21. Uh, I, I keep forgetting. But yeah, no, again, the, just just a lot more people getting into My Hero Academia every month. It's it's kind of it's kind of surprising. Like I I'm I'm wondering when we'll hit that when we'll hit that ceiling of like of people who who have uh, you know who have gotten into My Hero Academia until everyone in 
the country is reading My Hero Academia, I think we'll continue seeing the sales continue to rise and rise until it reaches that ceiling where I guess every comics reader at the very least is reading the series. Every comics reader will be reading My Hero Academia, the book scan list, all 20 places will be My Hero Academia. <laughs> I mean, I'll admit, it's it's probably unlikely, but it, but at the same time, like, with over 20 volumes, it is possible now. Yeah. But I guess um, just to kind of talk about the rest of the list, at number four, we have uh, the deluxe edition of Berserk, uh, volume three uh, in particular. At number four, again, always nice to see Berserk on there, particularly high on the list as well. And then we have uh, not one, but two uh, volumes of Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba on this list with volume nine at number eight and volume one at number 16. So again, uh, people getting into Demon Slayer now who, you know, probably heard about the anime, but kind of missed it. So they're like, I might as well get onto the manga, maybe or whatever. Um, And then obviously you have people who are continuing from the anime buying the newest volume of the manga, which I assume is volume nine. And so, yeah, it's it's just nice to see Demon Slayer on here. I'm, I'm, I am wondering how much its presence on the bookskin list may or may not increase. That that'll be interesting to kind of keep track of looking forward. Mm-hmm. And then at number eleven, we have uh, Jinji Ito's Uzumaki, the hardcover edition. At at number eleven, again, J- Jinji Ito is always it's it's licensed to print money over here at this point, so not much else to say there. Uh, along with, uh, let's see, we have, we also have One Piece Volume 92 at number 15. One Piece always has a place on the, uh, book scan list, of course. And, uh, last but not least, we have JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 4, Diamond is Unbreakable, Volume 3 at number 17. It is really nice to see JoJo consistently place on this list. I don't think it was really doing so while we were at, uh, while we were in Part 3. I think it was on there from time to time, but, I, I mean, I think that now that we're... Now that we have material that, you know, we haven't had before, we finally moved past part three. Um, I'm sure more people are probably interested in picking up the manga, probably. Yeah, it's nice to see that every volume of JoJo's part four has charted so far when we didn't see that for part three. So very, very cool to see JoJo fans coming out and supporting the release. And One Piece volumes, it's good to see that they continue to also do very well. Um. But I do, I don't think there's much else to really say about this list. Uh, not 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 a ton of surprises. Um, we could see that a lot of people are getting both into My Hero Academia and Demon Slayer. Those are, I I I would assume those are like two of the hottest things right now. So mm, it certainly checks out that Volume One was the highest ranked manga volume on both the Book Scan and the New York Times list. Hmm. For sure. But yeah, no, I guess we can move on to um, a little bit of serialization news. We don't have a ton to talk about, but there were two pieces we thought were worth mentioning. Uh, And the first one being that the January 2020 issue of Kodansha's Monthly Shonen Magazine uh, revealed that uh, Ryo Sumiyoshi will be launching a new manga called Tekai no Senshi, uh, roughly translated to Steel World Warrior, in the next issue on January 6th. This piece of news is is interesting in particular because the magazine stated that the manga will launch in Japanese, English, French, and Chinese simultaneously worldwide, though Kodansha did not reveal where the manga will be published in other languages yet. Uh, we, we can only assume, at least as far as uh, 
as far as North America goes, that like Kodansha over here will probably be doing a cyberpub of that somehow, somewhere. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. The magazine hinted that the battle action manga will center on a Ashidaka or a boy with four steel arms. So that's really about all we know about uh, the series in particular. And uh, yeah, I don't know. As far as new cyberpubs go, I'm, you know, if this is. You know, w- when this becomes available somewhere where we can read it, I wouldn't mind, you know, checking it out, maybe covering it on the show. We, we do want to, we do want to try to cover more new simul pubs, you know, outside of jump. So this might be a good opportunity to do so. And, uh, I guess for anyone who's interested, uh, Sumiyoshi in particular apparently was previously credited for animal designs for both seasons of the Golden Kamui TV anime. Um, which I, I know people have, uh, uh, feelings on uh you know the cg animals and golden kamui but you know i'm i'm sure i'm sure the designs before they were rendered in cg looked a lot more interesting probably uh but anyway no that, that's really about it uh for that piece of news i don't know uh lam does this sound interesting to you it's interesting that this is a series they've chosen to simul publish in four languages so it makes me curious what about it they feel it will really have a big international appeal to make that push right off the bat. So that definitely has me curious, and we'll see how it turns out. Mm-hmm, for sure, for sure. Uh, anyway, moving on from that, our only other piece of serialization news is that uh, the Line app in particular, which uh, I believe that's a messaging app, I've seen people like talk about it but i've never actually like used it myself uh i believe it's the it's the messaging app where you can get a bunch of like anime and manga stickers that i wish i had that i'll never have because i don't use line (laughs) but uh i guess in particular uh the line corporation basically announced that the line app will be launching 14 new manga including a few noteworthy titles such as a adaptation of uh of star wars rebels uh which will be interesting uh, and then we have a, a cute little Osamatsu spinoff called uh, Urumatsu, uh, which is basically a combination of Osamatsu and uh, and Ultraman. Uh, I'm sure people will get a kick out of that. I wouldn't mind checking that out, actually. It sounds cute. And then uh, the last notable manga, anyway, that they mentioned was uh, is Yugiri Akia's Yoshinoya Kyodai, or roughly translated to The Siblings of Yoshinoya based on an original work by uh, Nier Game Series director Yoko Taro, uh, which will be premiering on December 27th. Um, and then they'll be launching a lot of other titles after that, but uh, I don't think we're going to list them all here just because there really isn't a lot of info on any of the rest of them. But we'll we'll leave a link in the show notes for anyone who's uh, interested in going through that list. Uh, may- maybe, maybe there's a title in there or... S- something from an author you really like that maybe we don't recognize. I don't know, but uh, that's kind of cool that uh, Lion will have some manga for people to read. Um, I didn't even know the Line app had like manga reading capabilities, but uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe if there's a if if there are enough interesting series on there, maybe I'll, maybe I'll finally have to get a Line. Maybe I'll finally have to get the Line app. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. They certainly are launching with interesting titles that are related to pre-existing brands or authors people would recognize, probably to encourage readers to check out the manga on their service. It's interesting to me that they're making a Star Wars Rebels manga considering the series ended like a year and a half ago. So I'm wondering, is this going to be a retelling of the Star Wars Rebels series? Would 
be a series just set in the universe or reimagining that does have me curious and i do wonder if it would get licensed and published over here i don't really know how invested disney is in the star wars rebels brand or if they want to move on to other Star Wars shows they're focusing on. Then the, uh, of course, I'm surprised that Ozamatsu-kun is still getting new spin-offs and the franchise is continuing since I thought the movie would probably be the last big hurrah since it felt like the fandom for it was petering out. But it's interesting to see that they're still trying to continue with some new projects uh, for and a new story by Yoko Taro, a new manga, uh, inspired by an original work of his, definitely sounds very interesting. So I hope that gets licensed as well. I know that a lot of near fans would be really keen to read it, I'm sure. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, but that's really about it for serialization news. Again, like I said, we, we didn't have a lot to cover, but we thought those would be of interest anyway. Mm-hmm. And I guess we can now move on to licensing news. Lum, if you want to take that away. We only have one piece of licensing news, and that's a pretty significant one, though, because The Beguiling, which is one of the biggest comics retailers in Canada, uh, definitely a huge part of the comic scene in Canada. Its founder, Peter Berkamo, is one of the original co-founders of TCAF, the Toronto Comics and Arts Festival. And The Beguiling is moving on from just being a retailer to becoming a publisher. They're interested in publishing unique manga that aren't finding homes elsewhere Perhaps because the books themselves are a little dirty or because they'd be hard sells. They're interested in getting those books out there. And they're starting with a book from Natsuko Ishitsuyo, which their tagline is, it's an unflinching look at modern women's sexuality. And for a further synopsis, the back of the book description is, even if the rest of the world is slow to get on board... The girls in these stories aren't wrong. They're special and they know it. Whether they're making point cards for their love hotel clients or setting curses at trade school, they'll do whatever it takes to make their own way forward. From a magician who runs a small business seeking blessings from the universe to a cooler-than-thou high schooler who learns the pleasures of sex after a random encounter in the adult side of a video store, these women are in control of their desires, and those desires just happen to include each other. An unflinching look at modern women's sexuality. Which is definitely seems like an interesting collection of short stories. The book will be 240 pages long. It'll be translated by Jocelyn Allen, who has been the translator of a lot of really great books, including many Joji Ito titles like Fragments of Horror and Smash, Nagata Kabi's My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness and My Solo Exchange Diary, Claudine and Rose of Versailles from Ryoko Ikeda, and a ton, ton of more books, a lot of queer and a lot of women-focused books especially. And the editor of this book is The Beguiling Zone, Penny Clark. We can see some sample pages on the Kickstarter page, and the translation presentation definitely looks really great. And of course, there are going to be incentives for Kickstarter backers like pins. So those are also neat. Currently, the book has a 5,317 Canadian dollar goal, 
And it's about halfway to its goal at the time of this recording. And there's nearly four weeks left, so it has plenty of time left to be funded. And if this book sounds interesting to you, there's a pitch video. There's even further information on the Kickstarter page. Definitely support it because I'm definitely interested in seeing a new comics publisher arrive on the scene to publish more indie kind of underground manga titles that would be hard sells at other publishers perhaps. And also in general, it the story itself sounds interesting and I'm very keen to read it. And I have backed the project and uh, I definitely trust the talent involved as people who have been in the comics industry for a long time. They know the retail scene. They know the comics world and they know the publishing business. So I think this is a very trustworthy endeavor and I'm really looking forward to seeing the beguiling enter the publishing business and reading the books that they publish. Mm-hmm. And we'll definitely leave a link in the show notes for the Kickstarter for anyone else who wants to back this project as well. Indeed. Now we'll move on to some industry news, and we have a follow-up to a story that we talked about way back in February. The Japan's Agency for Cultural Affairs had agreed on a plan to create comprehensive laws to ban the practice of knowingly downloading all illegal media from the internet. Current laws only punish people who pirate media that are full music or video. But in their proposed revisions, it would expand the reach to what could be penalized to any copyrighted work, which caused concerns because we worried that it would apply to screenshots. That would be affected. That could be criminalized. And of course, that would hinder free use and freedom of expression on the internet. So there was a meeting of experts on November 27 to discuss the revisions. Experts in attendance included Ken Akamatsu, who previously spoke about this issue before. Ken Akamatsu, of course, being the mangaka responsible for Love, Hina, and Negima, and works like those. And in addition to him, there were also other copyright tellers and lawyers, representatives from NPOs that work to protect freedom of expression, publisher, public relations managers. And so they all discussed, you know, allowing screenshots to be an exception to this law, as well as downloading a certain number of panels from manga. So they revised the draft to allow for screenshots of manga, video games, literary works, So those are now protected, and now the bill is aiming to be finalized by January and amended to the copyright law to the diet in early 2020. And of course, there's going to be more conversations and more discussions regarding whether to revise the law so that complete downloading of illegal works except for parodies and derivative works and downloads from parody sites will be illegal, and we'll see what their stance ultimately falls on in that case, but it's good to know that one of the biggest concerns we had criminalizing taking screenshots is no longer an issue, and that is being kept off the bill. Now we have follow-ups on the Kyoto animation story. We have a sad bit of news in that the first studio building, the building that was affected by the fire in July, will be demolished. Preparations for demolishing has already started, and the actual demolition is going to start in January and goes through late April. It's going to be a process. They're still doing preparation work right now. 
we already knew that they were considering demolishing the building, creating a public spot on the spot of the fire, because just to leave it like that, there is a quote from Hideki Hata, Kyoto Animation President, where he says, when I consider the staff and the people in the neighborhood, there are people who don't want to see such a groups in sight. So demolishing the building and then creating a park to memorialize it and the victims definitely seems like a better course of action than leaving the building as is or even renovating it. Yeah, I, 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 could, I could see the reasoning why they'd want to do that. It, it would just be a reminder. Yeah, it'd be hard to go back to work in a building and in the same spot where so many people you may have worked with lost their lives. But there is a good bit of news surrounding the Kyoto Animation story in that Sentai has sent the final funds from their GoFundMe campaign to you, Kyoto Animation. They ultimately had raised $2,367,030. Nearly all the funds had been sent to the studio by November 21st. There was still a small percentage for credit card processing purposes still being worked through, but the final distribution of funds has been complete as of December 7th of this month. So Kyoto Animation has received the funds and they are going to begin the process of transferring the donation money to victims of the fire and their families. Kyoto Animation themselves will not be handling the money. They have handed it over the control of the account that the money was deposited into, into the custody of the Kyoto Prefectural Government. But... At the very least, it's nice to hear that the funds will be finally given to the families affected by the fire. That there will be some financial relief sent their way uh, during this holiday season. But we also have some other news to talk about. We discussed earlier in a previous episode that Leiji Matsumoto was hospitalized in Italy after receiving some kind of nausea and head trauma. But he has been discharged and he has returned to Japan. And yeah, it's just one update that we wanted to mention that, you know, he re- was receiving emergency treatment, but eventually it was determined that he was not suffering any serious symptoms. It was a bit scary, but it's good to know that Lady Matsumoto is okay and back safely at home in Japan. Unfortunately, there is another hospitalized creator who is having more severe problems. Izumi Matsumoto has been suffering from spinal stenosis for a while now, which is an abnormal narrowing of the spinal canal that puts pressure on the spinal cord. It causes severe numbness in the legs. And he got the symptoms like several years ago, which affected his ability to sleep. And he's been on sleeping pills ever since, but because the numbness is so severe, the sleeping pills are sometimes ineffective. And to quote Matsumoto, they say that sleeping has become scary every night. And so he's endured a lot of pain. Uh, He seems to have like aged physically some thanks to these symptoms. And he really needs treatment, but there's There's like daily activities that have become very difficult due to severe numbness. He might not feel too much pain sometimes because it's just numbness, but it affects like his daily life. 
So he's taking medicine from a orthopedic clinic, but his condition has not improved much. You know, he's considering surgery, but he's reluctant because surgery is scary and also very expensive. But he's looking for a good specialist to treat his spinal stenosis. So that's just an update about Matsumoto's health problems that he's been fighting, dealing with for a long, long time. And it doesn't seem like this story has a happy conclusion as of yet. Like uh, it's still in the process of being worked through. But we wish all the best to Matsumoto and hope that he you know, finds a good specialist and finds a good recovery plan treatment to help deal with these symptoms and uh, live a healthy, happy life. Yeah, like I can't even imagine going through something like that. In another bit of very sad, somber news, recently the original voice actor for Goemon in the Lupin the third series, or rather not the original, but like... uh, the voice actor that is voice loop the going on the longest from 1977 through 2010, starting with the part two series. He has passed away at 80 after his health worsened after a chronic heart attack. Makio in a way. And in addition to Goemon, he's also famous for his role as Captain Harlock in the Space Pirate Captain Harlock series and related spin-offs and other Leiji Matsumoto works where Captain Harlock has appeared in, like Galaxy Express 3-9 and Queen Emeraldus and all sorts. And he's also had a ton of other roles in anime over the years, but Goemon and Captain Harlock are definitely his big main roles. And he was definitely one of the, you know, big defining uh, roles as as Goemon, like the, he was that character for the longest time of any actor, and it's very sad to see him pass away. So we just want to memorialize and pay our respects to Makio Inoue and give our regards and uh, R.I.P.s. And now to move on to a little bit of lighter news. Uh, Just an update on the final Eureka 7 remake film, the final High Evolution film. Originally, it was supposed to come out this year, but it has been moved instead to 2021. And there's been no reason for the delays, but I'm sure that there were some production issues and they needed more time to spend to to work on it. So I'm curious to see how the trilogy ends because the Anemone film ended on a very interesting note in terms of this idea of parallel worlds. So I'm very curious to see how they wrap up this series and maybe even this franchise because these high evolution films are definitely an interesting commentary and examination of the original series. And they do some interesting things with it from a meta perspective and in terms of exploring some different ideas about different interpretations and multiple universes. So that's very interesting to me. But finally, we are going to wrap up our news segment here with some light news. There was a My Hero Academia popularity poll that will probably already be out by the time you're listening to this. But because it is not officially out, we will not be reporting the results right now. 
However, there was another Shonen Jump related popularity poll, not done by Shonen Jump themselves, but by Crunchyroll about Dr. Stone. Crunchyroll polled several of their viewers of Dr. Stone, about 50,000 fans, about who their favorite Dr. Stone characters were. And they have finally tallied up the results. They've created wallpapers for the top five characters. And I thought it would be interesting to just take a look at the results. So I guess we'll count down just the top five for now and then perhaps may go into some interesting results in the top 22. But the top five were Suika at number five, Kazeki at number four, Chrome at number three, Kohaku at number two, and of course at number one we have Senku. I don't think very surprising results there. All of the core members of the Kingdom of Science ranked in the top five. Though it is surprising Gen just missed a cut, only coming in at number six. So close. So close. But it's very interesting. Anime viewers seem to agree with English readers of the manga that Kaseki is one of their favorite characters. If you remember, Kaseki was also very highly ranked in the character popularity poll here for Shonen Jump readers in America. So that's also a very cool thing to note, that that old man really, really is very popular with international fans. Mm-hmm, yeah, for sure. No, I uh, clearly Kaseki has his loyal fan base over here, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's very, very similar results to the first popularity poll results for the manga Like, it's basically the top five are all the same characters, a little bit rearranged, because in the first U.S. popularity poll, Kazeki was actually number two, so he was even higher in the manga poll. But all five of these characters were also the top five in the first manga poll, and Gen was number six in the first manga poll, too. So, kind of very interesting results there. Not, not, not Not really much to say on my end here. Um... Not, not 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 much difference between like I guess even like the top ten for the Crunchyroll results compared to like the other actual like manga character popularity polls. Both in well, the two- I definitely think Chalk's weakest dog being so highly ranked <laughs> is very interesting, especially since he's more popular than Sikasa apparently. Wow, <laughs> I'm sure Crunchyroll is now going to make a gonna make some kind of merchandise out of chalk somewhere <laughs> yeah i'm surprised that there isn't already merch but uh yeah no again again it was so close I, if basically these would be like my top five characters except i and i, and I, I like suika enough she, she's cute i think she has good moments but me personally i would i would if, if if this were my list i would put again just slightly above her and 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 then this top five would be perfect. Perhaps we'll see again rise in the next popularity poll. Crunchyroll does if they do another character popularity poll, similar how to the second manga popularity poll, again did rise uh, into the top five, into the top three, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be I'll be interested in seeing uh, what the results look like after. Um, uh, should should we should we mention that uh, season two is coming out? Or I guess that'll be official by the yeah, time this comes out, right? It's already been announced. Uh, like there is a Doctor Stone season two on the way. It's going to cover the remainder of the Stone Wars arc, which is no surprise. Like I totally expected it, considering that it was very obvious this first season was not even gonna get to that 
So okay, there we go. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised they. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if I should be surprised, but like, I guess I wasn't expecting them to like announce the second season like so soon. Um, I, I'm wondering if like the anime is just doing that well for them, or if that was just already planned from the beginning, or. Yeah, it's popular. It's done well. I'm not totally surprised. Like with very popular shows, they announced like the second season is coming right away. And perhaps they knew from the start that they were not going to be able to adapt the entirety of the Stone Wars arc in 24 episodes. They knew that they'll need more episodes to finish it. So I'm going to be curious, though, if season two will also be 24 episodes or if they're just making 12 to finish the Stone Wars, because they really don't have that much content left. I don't think that the Stone Wars would even fill up 12 episodes. Like, they'll have to delve into stuff after that to fill it up based on how they pace the show just generally. But we'll see. I'm definitely curious. Mm-hmm, for sure. But I think that's about it for news. Um, and so I think we can move on to some jump starts. And uh, I guess I could start us off here. So, you know, we we mentioned, uh, I think it was last episode, if I, if I remember correctly, that we had some uh, new series to talk about. They weren't completely out at the, at the time of that recording. But now, um, now we could talk about both series. And so, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we can start with Zip Man first, right? That came out first. It did. All right, yeah. So l- let's talk about Zip Man first by uh, Yusaku Shibata, who, for those who don't know, apparently is, uh, or I guess was an assistant to not only uh, Kohei Horikoshi, but Eiichiro Oda as well, actually. Um, I actually remember, um, just before we even get into Zip Man, um, I was looking into shibata's uh other stuff and uh i totally remember um i actually i've actually read at least one series from shibata uh that i think ran in um i don't remember what magazine it ran in it was either in jump giga or whatever like was the equivalent of jump giga before then called uh flowers of the sahara i think that's what the series was called um i think it it ran for like four chapters I, i read it online like years and years ago Mostly because, hey, this was somebody who worked with Oda. I was interested in reading and checking it out. And from what I remember, like, it it looked really nice. Like, I really enjoyed the art. Um, and I, I thought the story was pretty okay, too. Um, again, like, I thought overall it was, uh, for, for how short it was and how much they were able to cover in such a short time, it was it was pretty enjoyable. I don't think it's licensed, unfortunately. But if it was, I'd, I'd, I'd check it out. I'd, I'd buy it. But uh, yeah, just kind of moving on to Zip Man here in particular. So Zip Man is a superhero story about uh, our protagonist, uh, Kaname Tatara, whose loving obsession with tokusatsu hero Jackman drives him to be someone who can make people smile, uh, but is constantly overshadowed by his smarter and technologically savvier twin brother, Koshiro Tatara, uh, whose many inventions will go on to make the world a better place even after his recent passing. But in a strange twist... Uh, Koshiro's consciousness has been fused into a super suit, which Konami now has to use to fight bad guys in secret, uh, while Koshiro investigates who did this to him and why. And, uh, that, that's essentially the basic premise of, uh, of Zipman. I, uh, totally didn't write that myself. Um, but yeah, no, uh, at the time of this recording, uh, the first two chapters are out, 
And um, I think I mentioned it last time on the podcast because I I just happened to read the first chapter. Um, I thought this was pretty enjoyable. Um, like I I like the idea of a of a tokusatsu esque superhero manga running in Jump. I think uh, I'm not going to say that's not something Jump has never had before because I don't think that would be true. But uh, I mean, as far as I can remember, I don't think I've read anything like that in Jump before. Just personally speaking, so. I'm pretty excited for it and to see where it goes. Lum, I don't think you had read the first chapter back when we recorded that last episode, so I'm I'm curious to um to hear what your thoughts are on on this so far. I think that the art is very strong. I feel like the main character design is basically Tetsu Tetsu from My Hero Academia, and then the power structure is like the Funk Brothers from One Piece in terms of one brother is wearing the other brother like a suit. Oh, Jesus, that's so right. <laughs> he definitely has channeled his inspirations and influences from his previous experiences being an assistant for Horikoshi and Oda, and that definitely shows. And I definitely think that the tone, the feeling of the manga is very My Hero Academia-esque, and I do think that the focus on tokusatsu heroes over western superheroes like mha definitely makes it stand out where hero manga might be a crowded kind of field because you already have mha and one punch man but then this is focusing on just a different enough kind of hero to be a little standout i certainly appreciate the kind of robotic monsters and you can definitely tell that they are influenced by tokusatsu series i remember seeing a tweet going around kind of pointing out that the antagonist robot fought in like the first chapter was a very intentional homage to a similar design in a actual tokusatsu series that I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's like very, very obviously referencing that design. And I appreciated the magical girl tokusatsu robot in the second chapter that they fight. That is also pretty neat. I think the action foundation is very strong. I think that the art, uh, the action is very well communicated. Very exciting. There's some cool, ridiculous stuff. I love in the second chapter where the assistant basically drives the truck off a statue to ramp it up in the air so that she can throw uh, the brother out so that they can collide and become Jackman and whatnot. That was pretty cool. I feel like the central conceit is a little... uh, That took a while for me to really grasp and I don't know if I'm super into the relationship between the brothers and the foundation of that is that they're basically all obsessed with competing over the affections of the female protagonist and I think it's very weird sentiments they have as where Konami is like oh it's sex you die because now I can't make her smile anymore it's like kind of weird priorities And I also feel like we see in the second chapter that Koshiro in the dog man suit, he can like walk and move around. So it's, I think that's kind of a little less interesting than if like he needed Kaname to be in the suit to even move. But I understand like why he needs to be in the suit so like they can actually turn to Jackman and fight. But I think that it would be like even more interesting if he couldn't move being inside the suit at all. 
And that explores some even more interesting existential questions there. I mean, it's definitely interesting, the question why he's in the suit to begin with. But I'm not totally in love with the relationships between the characters, between the brothers. Like the fact that they're so competitive over the affections, over the female protagonist. And then that those skewed priorities. And I don't think I find it that interesting that he's so invested with this idea of being like Jackman and being a hero for that goal. So I do think that the action and the art foundation is strong. Uh, not in love with the characters and the relations between them. But we can see how it evolves as time goes on. It's certainly in terms of like a big sweeping emotional hook. This is not nearly as strong as My Academia. And definitely not nearly as strong as some other like first chapters of Jump series or where they really lay an emotional foundation that you can really grasp and get behind. But we'll see. Yeah, I do agree that um, I didn't think the first chapter was like anything particularly like groundbreaking. But, you know, it's, so far, I think it's fun. Like, I'm I'm always up for some tokusatsu shenanigans. Like, you know, I, I like that kind of stuff in particular, personally. So uh, this this is this is very welcome for me in particular. But uh yeah, I don't know. We'll just we'll also have to see how the how the relationship and the dynamic between our cast kind of develops because again we we only have two chapters to go off of so far. So, uh, we'll we'll have to see. But I'm I'm gonna be honest, and may, maybe we can use this as a springboard into our next series. But um, I think I like the first chapter of this more than I did our other series. So why why don't why don't we just talk about a Gravity Boys? Um, so. I um when I wrote up uh, my own synopsis for uh, a Gravity Boys, I used part of uh Viz's uh terminology here. I wrote that a Gravity Boys is a brotastic quote unquote space comedy adventure about four young men who travel to and land on an Earth like planet called uh, Alpha Jumbro, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, after the actual planet Earth uh, is ravished by nuclear war, uh, even though they've been tasked with recolonization. Uh, there's no female on the team, which means that the human species will eventually die out. That is until a being from another dimension grants them an elixir that can change a person's sex. So I have this written down as the basic premise of the story because that's just kind of what we were given uh, from Shonen Jump and Viz, you know, before the first chapter of this had come out. Um, but after reading the first chapter and... I guess if you haven't read it yet, I, I I'm I'm probably gonna spoil a few things here for you. But at some point during all the boys arguing, you know, one of them throws the elixir away into the jungle or whatever, which makes me think that they're gonna have to go back and maybe look for it later. The 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 interdimensional being mentions in the first chapter that uh, they have 365 uh, Alpha Jumbro days or whatever to uh, to basically drink the elixir. Otherwise, I'm assuming it like disappears or something. And so, like they they threw it away. And so now at the like at the end of the chapter, they mention how like oh well, we maybe we can like go back and go back to Earth and see if we find any females or whatever. And I guess that's where the story's heading now. That's the direction it's going in. But like. I can only assume that one of them is going to drink the elixir at some point. I don't know. Like, I'm I'm really confused as to, like, where this is going to go. 
because it's not really going in. It's not going into the places I thought it was going to go. Um, I don't know. Lum, what, what did you think about this? I'm still kind of gathering my thoughts on this personally. I think that the elixir will definitely come back into the story. I think that the focus actually might end up being that there's like a different kind of scenario every chapter of them kind of working themselves up over something inane or stupid. And then the tots inevitably go towards one of them drinking the elixir or one of them doing something. But I do wonder, like, if the elixir is the only thing that this being will gift to them or, like, maybe time and again, like, the being is going to come back and give them new things for them that they have to decide what they'll use or not. But I definitely think it's also setting up like this idea like, oh, they now they got to find the elixir maybe at some point or they do leave only a possibility. And I'm sure they might explore this like, oh, there could be other humans who survive that are out there that they might come into contact with or find. I think that they're going to stay on this planet. And certainly I think that the, we might see some more comedic hijinks in as they explore this planet. And I don't think they'll go back into space so quickly. So we'll see, like, uh, how the premise plays out. This is one where I feel like I need to read a few more chapters to see exactly what the general formula or the conceit of the series really is. If it's, like, just going to be focused on the gender switching thing or it's, like, really going to be focusing on how dysfunctional these group of characters are. I mean, very appropriately, the series is called The Gravity Boys, and for a reason, the ag is a portmanteau of aggravating, and of course, gravity. So, like, the, the idea, the central conceit is that three of the, these group of four characters are total dumbasses and kind of obnoxious and full of themselves. And I really appreciate that in dynamic terms, like this is like kind of an always sunny in Philadelphia S kind of comedy of errors about these characters kind of screwing themselves over because of their bad decisions. They get getting worked up in their own fantasies. And so I do appreciate that. And I do wonder like if that will be sustainable, how it'll play off. But I went into this chapter with trepidations, but I came out actually thinking that this was rather funny. It had a lot of good amusing parts. And I do think that a lot, while the characters are certainly not very uh, complex, they're distinct enough and they have just enough defining gags that I could see the dynamics play off in funny ways as the series goes on. Yeah, see, the, I I need a few more chapters for this as well because uh, I mentioned on the show before that you know when it comes to gender bending or gender swapping, like I am just I'm not a fan of those kinds of stories. And like I said, the, this this first chapter didn't like go to the places I thought it was going to go, but like at the same time, I I didn't I don't know like I I think I'll need a few few more chapters of this to kind of spend more time with the characters because like. Just just from the first chapter alone, I I didn't really laugh all that much. I, I didn't really think it was like particularly funny. The 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 one moment I did like was when uh was when the being showed up and uh and the main guy was like, Okay, yeah, what's up? Like it's just I, I really I really like the um I really like how he reacted to to meeting the being for the first time. I actually did think that was kind of funny, but outside of that um, I don't know, like, 
if this is supposed to be a comedy gag sort of manga thing moving forward, like, I'm, I don't know, it's, and I don't know, uh, I'd be interested in, in hearing if, like, anyone else feel, feels this way, or if this is just, like, just, just some kind of weird thing that, like, some kind of weird criticism that I have in particular in that, uh, I think the art is fine. Uh, I don't mind the character designs. I think they look just fine, but, like, I'm not sure... I'm not... Like, if this is supposed to be a comedy series, I don't know if the art is... I don't know if this art style is suitable for that kind of thing. Like, I'm... I'm So so far, just from the first chapter, I'm sure this, this could change, but just based off my first impressions, I... I'm not sure if I'm confident in the actual art for the series being able to elevate the comedy. Because I, f- I feel like when it comes to comedy, like as comedy manga, like I feel like the arts is not like the most important thing, but it is kind of important. I agree, but I actually think the art was quite strong in terms of character designs and just general design work. And I thought the expressions were quite enjoyable. I thought there were some pretty good expressions in this. So I didn't really have a problem with the art in terms of like selling the comedy. I mean, it's not a gag manga style, but this is like a comedy story manga. I don't think like it's uh it needs to be too super deformed. Like, it needs to have just enough, like, construction in terms of, like, these mechanical suit designs and the location of the world and whatnot to, you know, allow the story to kind of probably do more adventurous things if it so chooses to. Again, this is one where we'll really need to see what the direction the story takes is in the future to see, like, what kind of... stories that it'll generally be telling yeah yeah i i need i need a little more time for this one i do kind of want to see where it goes but at the same time it i'm not completely sold on it just yet um i feel like this is gonna be the kind of thing where like i'll probably give it a couple more chapters uh to see where it goes and then uh i'll probably i don't know if if, if i'm if i'm not enjoying it by like five or six chapters in that that's usually when i kind of I kind of start to drop off if it's really not uh, pulling me in, then it'll probably end up being the kind of thing that, like, I'll probably just get back to either when there's more of it or when it's over, uh, depending on how long it runs. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll just we'll have to see. Um, I don't really have any like strong feelings about it either way, as 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 much as I was expecting to anyway. Um, I just don't. But. Uh, you know, it's it's on the show to jump app. Like it's one of those things where I, I might as well read it for a little bit. Um, but you know, re- regardless of how we feel about these jump starts, uh, we'll we'll leave links to where you can read those in the show notes. Obviously, you can read them. Uh, you can read both Zip Man and and, and the Gravity Boys at ShonenJump.com or even on Manga Plus if you happen to be a uh, international listener. All right, guys, uh, before we get on to the Golden Comedy discussion, I actually wanted to interrupt the podcast to bring you guys some Jump Festa news. Uh, at the time I am recording this little thing to insert into the podcast, uh, I believe Jump Festa is more or less wrapping up. Uh, I want to say that's true. As far as I could tell, anyway, it's probably over. Um, I'm not seeing any more news coming out of the woodwork here. Uh, of course, uh, whatever we miss, I'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably talk about it on a future episode. But for now, we had a lot of anime news come out of Jumpfesto in which uh, I'm going to cover all of these really quickly. 
uh, first off, starting with uh, Gintama, that's right. So uh, on a previous episode of the podcast, we mentioned that uh, a new Gintama anime film was coming out, or at least it had a, it, there was an announcement of a new Gintama anime film. We literally had no other uh, info for it at the time. Uh, but now we have at least a little more info, as it was revealed during a uh, live stream for a uh, Jump Festa Gintama stage event, uh, that this new Gintama film will be opening in 2021. Ugh, that really hurts to say. Um, though, I will say that um, I, I believe I saw around that, uh, at least according to the movie's website, that uh, it looks like it's going to be opening in early 2021, so... Uh, not as much waiting as we could do, I guess, but still a whole, uh, man, we're not even in 2020 yet. Like this, this is going to be a lot of waiting. And, uh, I, I don't know, guys, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this one piece of news, but boy, man, I, as much as I really want to see the ending of Gintama animated, um, uh, I mean, if, if that's even what this is, I don't know. Um, it, man, I just I just want this movie to come out. I just want to see the end of Gintama. I don't care if I've read the manga already. I just want to see it animated so bad. Um, I will say that uh, I do have a theory as to why they haven't said like what's actually being covered in this movie. Because I feel like now that I think about it, if this were going to be the like the manga ending for Gintama. I feel like they would just come right out and say it. I mean, there's also a good chance that the Gintama anime staff just wants to keep us on the edge of our seat for no reason, which, you know, I, I wouldn't really put it past them at this point. But th this is my Gintama anime conspiracy theory, and that is that this anime film, what if it's all just like completely new material, a completely new story that has nothing to do with the manga? So that way, when it eventually does really well and bring in a lot of money then basically the anime staff will use that as proof that, hey, uh, maybe we deserve at least one more season of uh, of a TV anime, maybe? Those are my conspiracy theories uh, kind of turning in my head here. I don't know if that's really the case. I doubt that that's what it is. But hey, I mean, you never know. Uh, again, this is just speculation. Um, but yeah, that's literally all we have to work on here is that it's coming out in 2021, but they did mention that it'll be coming out early 2021. So hopefully it'll come out maybe like between January and March of that year. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, we're just going to move on before I get even more sad. Um, and just moving on to our next bit of movie news here. So uh, we did talk last year about how uh, they were going to come out with a new Prince of Tennis film that was supposed to come out this year. Or, or I guess that was supposed to come out in 2020 here coming up. Uh, but I guess that's been delayed to 2021. Uh, again, that is uh, specifically for uh, Ryoma Rebirth movie, The Prince of Tennis, uh, which I guess is also going to be like a 3D CG film. Um, I don't think we had that info the last time we talked about this news a whole year ago. Uh, and it looks like uh, Takeshi Konomi is going to be supervising the film. So for all you Prince of Tennis fans out there, that, uh, you know, that, that sounds pretty neat. Uh, not much else to say on that. Uh, Boruto looks like is going to be covering an actual arc from the manga known as the Mujina Bandits arc. Uh, from from what I hear about the Boruto anime, uh, it doesn't sound like they actually cover a lot of the manga uh, to begin with. And so uh, from what I'm hearing about this new upcoming arc, uh, it seems that fans are 
very excited that uh, the anime is actually going to be covering some more of the manga uh, for the first time in a while. Um, so that's good. I'm very happy for Boruto fans. Uh, in other news, uh, Food Wars is getting a fifth season this coming April 2020. Um, I'm really surprised that they're giving another season to Food Wars. I mean, granted, I don't know where they are uh, in this current season. I believe it's still airing, or maybe it stopped. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm not really sure how far that season got. I'm assuming it didn't finish because obviously we're getting another season. Um, I want to believe that this is going to be the final season of Food Wars. I, I, I don't, I don't see this franchise lasting that much longer, at least not in anime form, because obviously the manga's ended at this point, and uh, I, I know people have very strong negative feelings on that last arc of the manga, so I wonder how many people are even going to watch that season, I don't know. Um... Next up, we have The Promised Neverland. I was actually really wondering, like, when this was going to come out. And now I have my uh, now I have my answer, because uh, Season 2 of The Promised Neverland will be coming out on October 2020. So, a uh, little, little, little less than a year to go on that. Kind of like with My Hero Academia Season 4 uh, last year when that was announced. Uh, th- that was a long wait for that. And, hey, I mean... So far, it's been worth it, uh, and I'm hoping the same will be true of this. Boy, I was, I was really hoping the Promise Neverland would come back a little sooner. But hey, look, if this, if this gives um, uh, what's the studio name? Cloverworks. If this gives them enough time to animate the Promise Neverland properly and and produce it properly and all that stuff, I'm I'm more than willing to wait. I have other things to fill my time. Um, I just feel I, I feel sorry for uh, my friends who I recently just got into the Promised Neverland, though. But you know what? More's coming. We we already knew a season two was coming. It was just a matter of when, and now we know when, and that's good. Um, now now onto some like really surprising news. Just two more pieces here. Uh, one being World Trigger is getting another season of anime. Uh, Toei Animation is. Coming back to do another season of that, I'm actually really shocked, especially considering I I think World Trigger had to had to end its previous season on like a big like uh, anime only arc. I, I don't really know much about that arc in particular. Uh, I don't I don't know like I, I didn't really hear much about the World Trigger anime when that was initially out. I I don't think a lot of people liked it. I I know I know it has its fans. I'm I'm not going to say like nobody liked it, but like. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a Toei adaptation. Like, I'm sure things really took their time and not in the best way. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm, I guarantee you there are people that are happy about this getting another season of anime. And I'm sure, like, and I'm sure people will watch it again. Like, I'm just happy that World Trigger is, like, back. At least the manga is, anyway. It's still going pretty strong, I think. Uh, the, the fact that this is getting another TV anime makes me think that the B-Rank Wars are finally ending in the manga. I believe that's what I heard. I, I don't know if that's correct or not. Uh, I'll have to ask a alum, or maybe I'll even have to just catch up on World Trigger. I did kind of want to do that recently. I might just do that soon. Okay, but last but not least, and this is the one piece of news I'm actually like super, super excited for. Um, so Dragon Quest, uh, Dino, Daipoken, or The Adventure of Dai, uh, for for those who don't know, is a not really an adaptation, but it's it is a manga based on the Dragon Quest franchise. 
I don't know if it like relates to any of the games or not, but uh, I know it was a manga that ran in Jump back in 1989, I want to say, uh, and apparently was a really uh, did really well for Jump. Like apparently, it's one of their more uh, popular legacy series. Uh, and as far as I could tell here, it sold about 50 million copies. And uh, I guess back in the day, along with stuff like Dragon Ball, Yu Yu Hakusho, uh, uh, Prince of Tennis, not Prince of Tennis, uh, Slam Dunk, you know, anything like along with anything that was running in Jump back in the 90s was a series that really helped like sell magazines, uh, as far as I could tell. Uh, and that series in particular is getting a new anime adaptation uh, this fall 2020 uh, from Toei Animation, actually. I, uh, th- there's, a, uh, there's a little preview up for it, and uh, before, the, before the studio was announced, like, I could totally tell that this was a Toei thing. Like, I think uh, d- d- Die in the trailer looks very, very similar to uh, Ultra Instinct Goku. <laughs> Um, so I thought that was kind of funny, but yeah, no, I've, um, I've always wanted to read, uh, Dai's Adventure, but unfortunately, like, that's just, uh, that, that series isn't really available here in the West. I'm wondering if maybe this is going to get licensed here. I, I mean, I know the anime will probably get a simulcast, maybe, possibly, I would think so. Um, I'm, I'm sure, to, I'm sure that's something Toei's probably interested in. Um, and if it does get simulcast here, I'm hoping maybe like the attention the anime gets will lead to the manga being licensed. That's that's what I'm hoping for anyway, because I would love to read that manga. Uh, for those who don't know, because uh, I I know that like Toriyama did a lot of the uh, art and stuff for the Dragon Quest franchise, but the manga in particular uh, is by both uh, Riku Sanjo and Koji Inada, who I believe also did uh, Beat the Vandal Buster, which uh, did have an English release over here for a while. Um, I'm sure Maxi could tell you all about that one. I know he's a huge fan of that series. Uh, I believe it came back from hiatus a little while ago. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I think this was like the first big news I heard from Jump Festa other than the Gintama movie date or whatever. Uh, again, like I've never seen The Adventures of Die, so I'm really excited to watch this. I hope I'll be able to watch this. And yeah, I'll definitely be checking this out. Uh, and yeah, that's really about it for all the Jump Festa news. Again, I just kind of wanted to come in here and like report on all that real quick. Um, I, I kind of gave a lot of my thoughts on a lot of this stuff basically as quick as I could. Um, I'm sure maybe Lum will want to talk about some of this stuff on an upcoming episode. And so, yeah, I, I just I just figured I'd uh, I'd come in here and at least let you guys know what was going on and Again, we'll probably go more into detail with some of this stuff, depending on what Lub has to say on a future episode. So, yeah, I think uh, with all that out of the way, we are now going back to your regularly scheduled podcast. And so, yeah, we'll leave links to those. And uh, I think that's about it for everything else. Uh, why don't we just head on over and talk about Golden Kamui? Yep. Time to search for gold in the cold. A rhyme that surely won't grow old as mold. Can't wait to eat some squirrel brains. Hina.
It's a hunt for gold in the blistering cold. Snow on your boots and bears all around. You gotta beware of the bears. And you gotta hunt for rabbits and hares. You gotta find down some guys who might be disguised. And they got tattoos on their hides. And they're hiding away. They have all these wise and all these fetishes and perversities. Oh my, oh my, it's bears and perverts and political figures. Oh my, it's Golden Kamui, the assortment of different genres, a very strange, a very awesome manga by Satoru Noda, set in the aftermath of the Russo-Japanese War about a... Uh, ex-military guy named uh, the immortal Sugimoto teaming up with a young Ainu girl to hunt down a lost treasure of gold stolen from the Ainu and then he'll also take a cut to help his best friend's wife get uh, treatment in America and from there it goes into all sorts of crazy directions. We're finally talking about this wild ride of a series with some awesome guests. We've got Cosplayer and JoJo's Legend of Galactic Heroes and Golden Kongwe fan extraordinaire Diana Sorrell here. Hi! And we've also got Librarian extraordinaire and host of One Panel Later, Kelly! Hello! And thank you guys for coming on to discuss this crazy, crazy series with us. It's uh, got a whole lot of gold and it might have some Osoma in there too. (laughs) (laughs) And explain why overall the mixture is very Hina. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I'm really happy to have you both on. Uh, this is, I've been, I've been really looking forward to reading Golden Comedy. I think since. I think since year one of the show, really, so this is going to be fun. Indeed, Golden Conway has been a series on our minds since nearly the beginning, even before it got officially translated. I believe we started putting out the books in 2017, around the fall. And so at this point, they switched from a tri-monthly schedule that they did through 2017 and uh, 2018 to now releasing it bi-monthly. So there's 11 volumes out. That's what we'll be talking about on today's podcast. And yeah, I think we'll go into our first experiences with Golden Combi from here. I'm going to start off first because mine has a very short history. I just read it this week in preparation for the podcast. That's it. <laughs> Congratulations. That's a wild ride to go on in a single week. It is. I read basically two volumes a day, but I really enjoyed uh, reading it like every day. It's been a really fun week. And the twist in terms of like where the story was at and each reading session I took with it was quite fun. Uh, But I'm very interested in hearing uh, your guys' histories because I'm sure they extend far back even longer. So, well, actually, I want to go for I want to go next too, just because uh, mine's mine's pretty short as well. I just caught up with uh, whatever was on the Shonen Jump website uh, just this morning. Um, Also, that's uh, I think that's also part of the reason why we wanted to uh, cover it this year was because uh, it recently just became. In addition, through the Shonen Jump subscription, like you can literally read all the Golden Comedy for two dollars, which I think is amazing. Um, 
That's true. And uh, what wasn't this also a um, a fan request from our survey poll as well? It was indeed. It was one of many series voted on by our survey earlier this year. And I'm glad that the fans chose the series because this has been on my bucket list for a while. And it's also an appropriate year to cover this series because it's recently Golden Conway's fifth anniversary oh, wow. of serialization. So that's a real awesome thing to celebrate. And it, maybe it'll go on for f- another five. I have no clue where the story is at currently, but it seems like the places it could go are endless because of all the different things going on with it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I guess as far as like before I started reading it, like I actually I'm trying to think I'm not sure if I knew about the series before it got picked up because because I feel like I feel like I'd maybe I'd seen it around online, but like. I didn't really like look too far into it. Um, I think it was around when it got picked up and our, uh, our good friend Casey Manofsky article mm-hmm. started tweeting about it. And uh, <laughs> I, I think that's when I started getting more interested in reading the series. And um, originally we wanted to have him on for this episode, but we just couldn't really find the time for him to come on. So Casey, if you're listening, this one's for you. But uh, I'm really happy to have Diana and uh, Kelly on for this episode uh, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, uh, and we, we might get to this later, but, uh, I think, I don't know, like out of, out of all the things I had seen about this series, I think the one that really stood out to me was, uh, was the very infamous spread of, uh, of a guy, uh, being very intimate with the bear. Uh, please, no, come back. Uh, come back. Oh, please, no. No. I, no. I had not encountered that before yesterday morning when I read that volume and I... I wish I did know that was coming so I could be prepared because I was not. And I was. <laughs> is, it, is it better mortified. to be prepared though or to just. I, <laughs> I think it's best to just skip past that page entirely. Just take it as it comes and let it wash over you. If, and if you have the print volume, maybe. I don't know, white out the pages because you can't rip it off because that'll affect the other pages. But maybe. Yeah, maybe just uh, very strategically flip past that digital it might be harder you're gonna have to like really uh double tap quickly when you get to that page like i i knew about this arc and i still wasn't ready for it so i don't think i don't think there's really a way to be ready for it um but but despite that i i heard a lot of good things about the series and i'm really glad i finally started reading it because boy uh like i was um i think i was talking to kelly off mic the other day about how like i knew it was going to be good and I had a feeling I was going to like it, but I, I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I do now. So that's a, that's a nice surprise. It's so fun to read. It is, it Like, is. the series moves at an incredibly fast pace. There's so many things going on, so it's always engaging. There's never a dull moment and everything matters in the story. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. I think there's, like, only one chapter where they hunt the eagle that ha- so far hasn't played into anything else, but, like, even that was an incredibly enjoyable chapter with a lot of fun moments. Um, And I'm sure maybe we'll get to it a little later, but that was, that was the chapter of the manga that really convinced me, oh, yeah, this... I could I could tell because uh, Ke- Kelly's made the uh, the comment on one panel later about how 
Gintama-ish Golden Kamui can be sometimes, and I think I think that was the chapter that convinced me. Like, okay, I, I see. I mean, there's occasional slapstick comedy, there's Shinsengumi. Yes! Uh, what yeah, else do we need? Many true. poop jokes, many Shinsengumi. <laughs> Lots going on. Reaction faces. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, but I guess speaking of Kelly, Kelly, if you want to talk to us about how you got into Golden Kamui and like what your first impressions were. Sure. Um, so I have been reading the series since it came out. Um, and I think I also heard like chatter about it on Twitter, but I don't think the first panel I saw was the bear fucking panel. I think it was <laughs> what I think one of the first pages I actually saw from it was that panel of Ushiyama like judo throwing a bear. Oh, that was yeah, really good. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is crazy. So I've been reading it um since uh time began, I guess, compared to you guys. Um and <laughs> at first like I was like, wow, this is really violent. Like I'm not really sure. This series earns its M rating. It really yeah. does. And I and I'm like kind of a wuss about like super violent manga. So I was like, well, okay. Like, <laughs> the, you know, the first chapter is like very graphic and it's like the war scenes. And I was like, let's see about this. And then where it really hooked me was actually like the food portion. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. And then what, once they started cooking, I was like, I'm so here for this. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's like a wonderful, amazing series, obviously. And it just hooked me. Um, and I feel like my true story of getting into Golden Kamui has been the story of me trying to get everyone else into Golden Kamui <laughs> and just like doing a super bad job of it and like trying to explain like why it's cool and being like, oh my God, like Hijikata, like Shinsengumi. And people are like, what the fuck? Like, who cares? What's a, and what, I'm like, what's and, a like they fight a bear. Yeah, I'm like, they're eating otters. I'm like, who, why? And I'm like, it's just like the whole package. So <laughs> I feel like that's in like my tale with golden comedy is like loving it and then like badly convincing other people to read it <laughs> to, to be to be fair i can't imagine trying to trying to come up with a succinct way of like trying to pitch golden comedy to most people i imagine it's pretty hard i can go ahead oh yeah okay <laughs> diana let's hear it all you have to do is just point out that the Venn diagram overlap of Golden Kamui fans and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure fans is basically a circle. <laughs> That's how I do it. Uh, that is so true. I, I really feel the series is very JoJo asking a lot of sins. Just like the asides that Noto will often take to like explain like a fun fact uh like when edit guy is doing his whole uh human skin clothing runway and there's just like a brief paragraph uh like fashion shows were first made in the 1840s by this one guy <laughs> oh like, my just god weird random historical facts peppers in through the manga that so reminds me of jojo's like it started that's what got you though and... not like the hulking man muscles on every oh, page that too like uh, <laughs> the really brawny men it's and beautiful it's weird men. because yeah. thematically and tonally they're very different mm -hmm. series, but the sort of person that they appeal to tends to be pretty much the same. I know very few people who like one and hate the other. <laughs> and since a lot of my friends are JoJo fans, all I have to do is go, hey, so if you like JoJo, you know what you might also like? And that's what I do. See, that's really interesting. <laughs> because um, I, I know Lum was kind of mentioning it to me uh, off mic the other day, like, 
about the JoJo connection, and uh, that's I I never got those kind of um, vibes from Golden Kamui personally, but like hearing you hearing you say that, I I can kind of see it. Yeah, I'm not saying that they're similar series necessarily, but I am saying that the sort of person they appeal to. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, I see. People who like to learn about really uh, niche things and then just a, a collection, a manga that's entirely based on unique situations and then learning about like really obscure uh, historical facts or even broad historical facts and then just f- finding a way to work that into the setting and the story. I, you know, we, I'm, I'm very weirdly attracted to manga like that where it's like, you know, because because Araki does that kind of stuff all the time as well. Like I, I feel like something that really stood out to me was uh, what was it, the Pet Shop versus Iggy fight in the Stardust Crusaders, and then they're they're fighting, and at one point Araki just like goes into like different specs about like uh, hawks and stuff, and I'm just like, okay, <laughs> okay, I didn't expect to learn something today, that but really there I am. Does seem like something Noto would do. <laughs> Now that I think about it, I kind of like how like he's he has those little historical sides, you know, those little like boxed mm-hmm. um, panels yeah, that are like they're amazing. And I like how sometimes it's like almost like a parody of himself. Like um, I might be getting ahead of myself, but there's like a scene when they're on like that big airship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like the super like action set piece, like high stakes, like aerial battle. And then like Koito was like falling off the airship, and there's just like a little aside, like next to one of the snails in the background that's like, oh, Sapporo <laughs> snail, like this species. <laughs> like, who's gonna, why? <laughs> Actually, the historical connection is actually how I got into it. I initially way before it got picked up somebody who i followed on twitter was pointing out that this is an interesting series in that it's one of the only manga that they could think of that had ainu culture depicted accurately and i remembered thinking oh that's really cool maybe i should look into that then right before another time right before it got picked up i saw a whole bunch of Asirpa faces, and I was like, oh wait, <laughs> that's the series that that one person was talking about. So I bought volume one, and it's been downhill from there. <laughs> so yeah, that's what got me. Historical side notes and Asirpa faces. I mean, I will admit, they are, like, um, Noda's facial expressions are always, su- they, it's so weird, like, they're so comedic in how, like, realistic they look, like, like 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 he had like um like like he had his assistants like as as a model make these faces or something or I don't know it's just it's, it's just it's really interesting to me like how realistic they can look because I could see real people making these faces. Yes, I love it when people's faces get scrunched up and they glare, especially Aspira. Like when uh, she's forcing Sugimoto to eat the the squirrel brains, and you have just have like an entire page of like her just staring intently at Sugimoto, waiting for him to just eat it. Those panels are all so great. And hey, look, like if I had to eat squirrel brains, that's the face I would make. <laughs> yeah, I actually I really enjoy his like more like subtle faces, like the um like whenever anyone tells like a love story and like Sugimoto is like a love story and kind of like his <laughs> eyes get like wide and oh, shiny yeah. and like there are like little sparkles. And <laughs> S- Sugimoto surprisingly is a hopeless romantic. 
yes he's like um, such a sap or like Shiraishi's like little like whiny face when everyone's just like being mean to him he's just like mm. I love Shiraishi so much oh my god I, I tweeted about this in my uh, in my thread like it was so hard to talk about Golden Kamui on Twitter and not just post about Shiraishi every five seconds like it's just it's relentless but I love it yeah he is good I feel like he is not given as much credit as maybe he's due like especially in the more recent volumes i feel like he has like more depths maybe than anyone ever talks about yeah yeah i feel like somehow he's got to be the most underrated character in terms of both character quality and interest versus fandom talking about them 24 7 it's so weird because i felt that shiraishi was the character i kind of had seen most and knew most about same besides aserpa kind of going in like that he was an extremely funny character he had this reputation as the escape king and you know he got into all sorts of comedic hilarious situations but i definitely think the depth of his character the fact that you know he's not just like there to be the the resident uh butt monkey or joke character the the gang that he does have like his own like he has some depth to his character like he has uh you know an honorable side to him he has like you know some his own inner conflicts he he works towards too like i think that those do get uh overshadowed by like all the jokes about him getting, you know, eat a bit by animals, which I love a lot, though. <laughs> which are to very, be fair, those are very funny, yeah, very good jokes, and they're very funny. valuable to the series. Yes. But um, like his whole like inner turmoil about like whether he thinks like Sugimoto thinks he betrayed him, and like it's like more, more, yeah. There's more to him, I think, than just getting stuck in fox traps. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's he's probably my favorite character personally. If I had to really, he's think like about one it. of the goodest characters <laughs> in terms of just yeah. like moral character, especially and personality. Whereas like the other characters, like the cast Golden Conway is filled with some really uh, duplicitous, manipulative, and murderous guys who are all <laughs> still uh, somehow incredibly likable. <laughs> And there are, like, some characters in the series who, like, show up and they're not good people, but when they get killed off, I'm like, oh, man, I start, I was really starting to like this Edogai guy, even though he murders people. And <laughs> I makes- love <laughs> Edogai. Yes, I know that he's basically super moe ed guy the serial killer but i don't care edo guy is wonderful you cannot change my mind he he is pretty fun i i I can't deny that yeah like he's adorable and then like the entire scene where sarumi is like having him give a fashion show of like all the costumes he's made and they're just these absurd costumes like there's one where he has like this big like arm uh, and his crotch area that he's like twirling around. He's so joyful though. He's so yeah. happy. I've got to say though, it says a lot about how morally gray most of the cast is that we have a character who is literally Ed Gein, basically. <laughs> who is also one of the most overall harmless members of the cast. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, that is true. That is really weird to think about, yeah. Um, 
I think in general, um, I've really come to enjoy just Tsurumi's gang in, in particular. Uh, they're always fun. Uh, I think I made a joke on Twitter about how I would just watch an entire It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia type of uh, spinoff <laughs> with just them. <laughs> Because that whole um, that whole thing where um, Sudami goes to his uh, his weapons guy, whatever his name was, I forget. Um, Arisaka. And uh, he he gets a he gets a new leg uh, for one of his men that like has a oh, con- yeah. has a gun in it or whatever. And like the the way that chapter ends with like it, you know the people <laughs> in the hospital. Congrats on your nifty fuck, Nikaido. <laughs> Like, like you have like people in the hospital being like, "Hey, you can't have weapons in here, or, or be quiet at the hospital, or whatever." Just like, just like the kind of stuff that like the the characters in It's Always Sunny would get up to. Like, they just do the worst things, and the people around them like hate them for it. But they're just kind of in their own world, in their own evil, maniacal, self serving world. And it's like, I don't know, just just the 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 dynamic of the group there really reminded me of that show. It was really interesting. Yeah, the thing is, like Tsurumi is. Like, the villain, in a way, in Golden Kamui. But, like, his guys are, like, not the worst. <laughs> like, not all of them are are not... Like, uh, is it Tsukishima, his, like, main right-hand man? He's just, like, trying to get through his day, like... <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, like, just fed up with all the crazy people around him. Like, he's just trying to do his job, and then he's like, has to deal with Koito or Nakaido just being weird. Yeah, and Koito is, like, literally one of my favorite characters. I feel like, I don't know if he's underrated. <laughs> he's a wonderful. He's too. In oh, yeah. the Rumiko Takashi Satoru Noda interview, uh, Rumiko Takashi said that uh, he was one of her favorites in the series. And then uh, Noda was like, oh, I, I thought that might be the case because you have like these like princely young Ben characters like total goofballs like Mendo and Kuno in the series. And like he's totally like that kind of character. And he reminds me a lot of Matsugo and Rene in particular with his like obsession with pleasing Sarumi and how like Matsugo and Rene would be obsessed with getting on Rene's good side. So I definitely see uh, the connection there. <laughs> but man, like Sarumi himself is also a really weird guy. Even he like even though he's the villain, like he's super goofy. Like he's so willing to indulge in like silliness and genuinely get wrapped up in things like the fashion show with edit guys mentioned earlier but like also he's so into his own world that he can also be oblivious to things around him like in the scene where like they're giving nakaido the new foot like there's a joke where like some guy just appears in the hospital room like he's trying to introduce the weapons guy but then there's this other guy who just walks into the room and then people are like wondering who is this guy and then eventually Sarumi's like, wait, who are you? Get out of here! And then introduces <laughs> the real guy. <laughs> I, I just love how even the villains of the series are all are incredibly goofy. Like, even the worst of people in the series, like, have, like, a humorous side to them. I think that it says something about the strength of Noda's writing, that he's able to have characters who d- can do such horrible things, and yet humanize them by showing you a likable side to them so that there's not really anybody who you're going to wind up going ugh I hate that character well, well except yeah, for one um, except for Shitong <laughs> nobody likes that one yeah, I but- feel like it's actually a very like Togashi like 
quality. Like, I feel like that's how I feel when I read Hunter Hunter is I'm like, what? This guy's a dick. And then by the end, I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. Like, what happened to them? Yeah. Hey, Chimera ants. That's right? all. Yeah, like- yeah. Yeah, I mean... And the Phantom True. Yeah, t- the thing about Togashi in particular, like, it really says something about that guy's writing where one of the most charismatic characters in all of Hunter Hunter is a, is a pedophile clown guy, like... <laughs> um. Right, and you're like, but I can get behind him, like, sure. Like, <laughs> he seems like an alright guy. I feel, I feel like that's a lot of the, the characters in Golden Comedy, like, yeah, I'm sure he killed some people, like, uh, he seems okay. Like, I'd still have a drink nope. with that guy. Yeah. yeah. You have a lot of, uh, <laughs> Murderous people who get aroused in Golden Conway too, like uh, Hen Mi and Nihei, who get like hard ons at the thought of killing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of um, a lot more erections in the series than I thought there'd be. Um. Mm. <laughs> There's this quote that I saw on Twitter a long time ago, where somebody asked Noda what his goal was in drawing manga, and he said that he wanted to portray the beautiful bodies of men. And I have to say, he has done a stellar yeah, job. Succeeding, Noda, <laughs> you nailed it. It's like the opposite of those series, like. As much as I love this one, it's like the opposite of Dr. Stone, where there's tons of gorgeous, different, unique male character designs, and then the women have only one body type, and that type is hentai dojin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I love Dr. Stone, but, like, I, I can't help but agree. Yeah, they yeah. all have the same body type. I mean, Dr. Yeah. Stone is just particularly egregious about that. It is. The girls are super strange looking. But in Golden Kamui... All the women look different and have so many different character designs, and they're all really unique. And then most of the men are just himbo stripping half naked all the time. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a difference between characters like uh, Inkarmat and um, Ogin in particular. Like, they they don't look like the same character, uh, which I which I really appreciate when it comes to female character design in manga. Yes, although how many female characters are there in Golden Kamui? Like, um, Sirpa obviously is like one of our main duo, but and then there's her grandmother. Um, we have a Sirpa, Incarmat, Hoochie, uh, and then Ogin. Uh, I guess four. Then there's um Ienaga. That's oh, oh yeah, that's yes. very yeah. interesting. So I I guess that's five. And I guess uh, we can sort of count Ume. I love Ienaga. Ienaga is another one who was based off of a historic historic serial killer. So, um, Noda, how many episodes of true crime shows do you watch per week? <laughs> Probably a lot. Uh, speaking of, like, JoJo's, uh, like, stories, that murder hotel story, like, even the title, Let's Go Stay at the Murder Hotel, that so felt like a JoJo's thing with, like, the- It's, built, it's based with- on a, uh, real- it's based on a real person and a real situation from the, uh, late 1800s in Chicago. Yeah, H.H. H. Holmes and, uh, his murderer castle, I believe. Yep. It's, uh- Sure a thing. It is sure a choice to have to have that in your manga and as well as for the character based off literally H. H. Holmes to be likable. Yeah, a person who has literally eaten people 
uh, to engage in this sort of Chinese therapy to make themselves look a certain way is like still really likable. I like yeah, that they it's stuck like, around. Sure, she has a murder hotel where she murders people, and sure, she's a cannibal, but you know what? She's living her best life. I support her. I think the relationship between her and Ushiyama is super adorable. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> even. Like when he finds out like what her her real identity, he still loves her. It's so nice, and he takes care of her afterward. And she just like is seamlessly integrated into the regular cast, like afterwards. <laughs> and everyone's like, "This is fine." Like she's just amongst us now. Like, <laughs> like it was it was weird that you tried to murder us and eat us. But, like it's in the it's water into the bridge. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of strange. Like at near at the beginning of the the series, uh, Sirpa makes a big thing to Sugimoto that you know you don't don't kill people uh, like in the process of like going after these uh, tattooed skins or whatever. You don't have to kill these guys and to take their skins. And he was like, yeah, okay, but the, the threat like the it's not a pacifistic series and by any stretch. There's a lot of people who die uh, and our all of our protagonists in every faction do not have any qualms about killing people whatsoever and being Asirpa. totally chill. Well, Asirpa, Asirpa does, is yeah. like the one exception. Yeah, for sure. And then I guess, well, Shiraishi, I don't remember any big moments. He probably did at some point, though. Shiraishi's just relatively harmless. Yeah. Yes. I don't, I can't <laughs> recall Shiraishi doing permanent damage to anyone throughout the entire series. He just doesn't feel like the sort of character who would do a murder. He, he doesn't. He would totally get framed for a murder, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he would totally be, like, completely the chump who got caught at the he end. He has the worst I, I, feel, I feel like that has to happen at some point. Like, I feel like that be... I, I'm, su- I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Shiraishi gets nailed. Well, I mean, there's that whole uh, like kind of like side backstory. Well, like when we get backstory of Shiraishi and like him like following the nun through all these prisons, yeah. right? It's supposed uh, to, that like... was that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the character backstories in this manga are like very serious. Like I think we get Ogata's backstory like towards in volume eleven, maybe or towards the end of volume yeah, ten. Yeah, and it, yeah, we get it, and it sure it's yeah. Dark. It's, it's very dark and like Sugimoto's all of the flashbacks of his past are like very fraught and then Shiraishi's like you want to know what happened to me like this is what I did and it's like totally farcical <laughs> and yeah. it, it just doesn't, doesn't explain anything about him really. no it gives you no insight into like how he became this person <laughs> but it is like exactly something he would do whereas Sugimoto's backstory I thought that was beautiful and sad I don't want to spoil this for anybody who might be listening and hasn't read it, but I thought it was just such a touching depiction of the kind of horrors that being in a war and PTSD could inflict on someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess as far as the Gintama connections go, like he really he really sort of reminds me of the kind of character Gintoki is where it's like he's just this guy who's like trying to live his life after being in a war and like how that affects him like i i find characters like that really interesting yeah he's really trying to find himself i think like a really affecting moment is like in the flashback where he goes back to visit like umiko at the house and you know she can't 
really like see him he's like he's like leaving the house without like being saying anything to her but she's like running after him and then she like stops suddenly it's like who are you and i think that's a moment that like sticks with him after that it's like he kind of lost himself in the war so he doesn't really know who he is anymore like what direction his life is going so that's that's a really interesting thread like in sogimoto's character arc to like follow like him redefining himself i feel like it's kind of in a lot of the characters arcs though is like war is like really in the background of like the entire plot right because like Tsurumi's people are all like it's like the island of misfit toys over there but like they're all like people who are like damaged from the war and like Tsurumi is like feels betrayed by the like command and he like lost a lot in the war and then there's like Sugimoto who's like what is he doing in Hokkaido like he has no business being there but he like can't go home and then even like the Shinsengumi like they're like running from like a different war and it's still affecting them I feel like it's like everyone in the series is like trying to figure out what to do with themselves after like losing their souls into these wars. Yeah, there really is just this ongoing theme of running from the past and trying to step out into some kind of making your own new future. And and in a sense they kind of want to take back what they lost like Hijikata wants to start a new republic of Azo, you know, with the gold to make Hokkaido secede from the rest of Japan. And kind of go back to the Tokugawa days, almost, in that kind of society. And then Surumi's goal, like, his platoon was considered outcast after the war. The veterans were not given any financial aid. He wants to make uh, Kaido an independent military state in which all people are taken care of uh, financially. No one is, like, left behind. And it's really interesting, like, all these different factions in the series, even the antagonistic factions, there's, like, kind of a sympathetic mode behind them. Even, like, with people as crazy as Surumi, his, like, motivation is based in, like, some, a very, like, empath, uh, human goal, or, like, a really, uh, something you can really sympathize with, I feel. Just, like, this feeling of betrayal, this feeling of, like, wanting to get back something lost and then, you know, make a better country that actually is taking care of all the people. So I find that very, very interesting. And, of course, you have uh, Nobera Poe. Well, the you have... I think at this point, I guess the motives of Nobera Poe is, like, uh, vague, but, like, the, the idea was, like, the goal was going to be used to uh, help an Ainu rebellion to make Kakaido an independent state uh, for the Ainu, too. So it's really interesting in the sense, like, the kind of shadow villain of the series is the Japanese imperial government and the way it's mistreated different factions of people. And then, like, each of the different factions in the series after the gold are wanting to make an independent state in which, like, their ways of life and their people are taken care of. Yeah, and in context, it's, like, Sugimoto's goal compared to, like, we would like to create an independent nation. It's, like, like really small and personal compared to, like, the Hijikata faction and the Tsurumi faction and, like, the Ainu, the Ainu faction of the past. Like, he's just like, I just want some money. Some of the uh, Noperable stuff does get revealed in upcoming chapters slash anime season two. The uh, Viz manga release has not gotten through everything that was covered in season two of the anime, so... Probably because the anime skipped over something. Oh, they skipped so much, <laughs> and I was so sad about it. 
Well, they, they skipped over the uh, Sheeton stuff, right? I think that was a good call. Yeah, that was a good call. <laughs> yeah, I was I was wondering if the anime could get away with adapting that storyline at all. I, at least not no. on TV, I don't think. No, they couldn't. <laughs> Oh, I'm uh, speaking of the anime. I I just found out this morning that uh, one of my favorite arcs uh, with the uh, Sugimoto and the gang going after the Yakuza guys while they're being attacked by that group of bears. I, I guess wasn't adapted in the main anime, and I guess it got an OVA or something. I I thought I I'll have to look look up the tweet, but I think it was an OVA collected with uh, a volume nineteen of the manga in Japan in particular. Uh, and if that's correct, then that makes me really sad because I, I really enjoyed reading that arc in particular. It's probably one of my favorites. Like, to be honest, I know this discussion is like not about the anime, but like I did stop watching the anime because it was like kind of bumming me out. <laughs> yeah, I tried. Um, I didn't really watch any of it when it first came out just because I, I just wasn't super interested in it. But like I I watched a little bit of the first episode yesterday, I think, and you know, I, I really wanted to get into it, and I, I know the like the story's still good, but like I don't know, so, something about it just kind of turned me off. I don't know, like I, I was really bummed out because it's like after reading the series, I was like, oh man, I wonder if I can, because I I have friends who, not that they're like against reading manga, but like they're more anime people than they are manga people, so it's like, oh maybe I could show them the Golden Kamui anime, and after some research, I was like, I don't know about this. <laughs> Season one is not especially great, but not terrible. I know several people who enjoyed that. Season two, they try to cover about three times the amount of chapters that season one did with the same number of episodes, and it really falls apart. Isn't each season like 12 episodes? Yeah. So? Yeah. It's only one Oof. core per season. I don't know. It's just, it's hard too. And, and it's extra hard because. Golden Kamui is, like, obviously, like, all you have to do is read a few pages of it to see, like, how much love Noda, like, pours into this series. Like, every page is, like, so detailed, and his research is, like, so deep, and he works so hard, and it's, like, so good, and then to kind of, like, see the kind of, like, half-ass adaptation is just, like, ugh, I don't know, like, hurt my heart. The second season starts out with Edogai, and then it goes to significantly further than where the Viz edition of the manga leaves off. Significantly. Without spoiling anything, around what volume uh, does the anime cover through? I'd say it goes to about volume 14 or 15. Oh. Wow. Wow. So, like, middle of next year in the Viz release is probably where we finally get caught up over here in the manga side then. Yeah, it is very... There's like, I think, at least 30 chapters past where Viz leaves off before we get to the point that the second season of the anime ends. I feel like there was some real mistakes made there. I understand why they would have wanted to get to that point. Where it ends is a pretty logical season break point. Do they get to Abashiri Prison? Yes. Oh, wow. I see. Mm. That makes sense. It's just like, what yeah, a shame. I see that. Because so much of the fun of Golden Kamui is, like, really in those, like, nitty-gritty details. At least we have animated Edo Guy fashion show. <laughs> I will control myself with that. You take what I'll you can get. i have to watch get. that later. <laughs> what, I, what I like about Golden Kamui is that the, the series and the characters do have a goal in mind in, like, what they want to do. And there's a clear, I don't want to say end point, but there's a clear point to where the story wants to go. But, like... 
we we still we still have enough wiggle room to go to to go to all these detours with them stopping and like you know cooking up different animals and making different dishes and like seeing like what all the other characters are doing you know on the way there and it's like i i know i keep going back to gintama but like i can kind of i can kind of see it where it's like it feels like gintama if gintama had a more focused story and there was a logical like endpoint the characters wanted to get to like because there, there are a lot of there's a lot of like one-off sort of uh, episodic points in the story that like if you really wanted to you could cut out but like that's the fun right right that's what makes it fun it's like if the gintama anime wanted to do like what all the other people who want to get in the uh, gintama want them to do (laughs) just watch the plot stuff yeah exactly just watch just watch the cool fights that's all that's all that matters (laughs) yeah just watch the benny zakura art start there like no (laughs) no yeah my friend uh, Spark of Spirit on the Animation Revelation forums like only got into Gintama after like I detailed a list of all the quote unquote plot relevant arcs, and then he became a like, fan the, of it. It's but just yeah, like it's not like, the point. It's not right? really the point. Yeah, <laughs> you're missing out on some great comedy episodes, which are kind of the heart of Gintama. Like. Sure, the episode where they all fight over the hot pot isn't related to the plot anyway, but it's one of the funniest damn episodes. You should watch that. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, like, I think that's one of the appeals of Golden Kamui is that, like, it's it's this really cool, gritty, spaghetti western-inspired action series, but, like, the characters can still t- take the time to just have a good meal together and just, just be like a be, be like one big happy family. Like, I like those moments. Yeah. yeah, I think you need the humor and slice of life moments to really get a feel for the characters and like just be invested in their daily lives. So you really like feel uh, for them and are afraid for them when they get into dangerous situations. And like you're just even that much more emotionally invested because you really got to a better sense of like who these characters are and like how they live and how they play off each other. And just to rush through, like, all the fun asides where they just spend time hunting or learning Ainu customs to just focus on plot stuff would be a real uh, disservice, I think, to the story and to, like, really getting into the characters. Well, Noda also, like, weaves the themes through, right? Like, just in the most recent volumes, there's that little kind of, like, side episode they have with, like, Shirai, she gets bit by a snake and then, like, no one wants to suck the venom out because, like... They're like, you'll live. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're fine. Um, and, the, and then there's like that little extra aside about like this story of, you know, the legend of this giant snake and this forest. But then like that ties right back into the chapters with like Ogi and the Viper, right? Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. notice, like, I don't know. He's, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Like the, there, there's a there's a point to some of these one off stories because they they serve as like they, they serve as like framing devices for other stories, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. You want the moments with Tanagaki just playing with Asoma in Aspera's village you just, while he's recovering, you know, just brief check in moments with him. So, like, when the moment comes where, like, he has to really get involved in the story again and can go after Sugimo and Asprey's group, like, you know the connection he has formed with uh, Hushi and Osama and, like, why he cares about them and why he, you know, wants to bring Aserpa back to just ease her mind and stuff. So, you need, like, the slice of life moments to be emotionally invested, but also they do feed back into the, the plot because, again, it's, like... 
it does inform you about other details of the world. And then, yeah, there are other connections made often as well. I guess that's kind of what Golden Kamui succeeds in, where Gintama sort of falters. Because I I, I do see a criticism with, uh, with Gintama where it's like, you know, uh, the transition between gags and comedy to like really super serious action or whatever that involves really deep character development. It's almost kind of like a switch. Like they're they're not always like I love Gintama so much as much as the next guy, but like even I have to admit, you know, th- they're not always integrated as as well as they could be sometimes. Whereas I feel like Golden Kamui does a better job with that kind of thing, where it's like you can't you can't really separate the two. Yeah, Golden Kamui is seamless. Where like I, there's a scene at the end of the tenth volume, which like I also don't want to spoil for people because it's like one of those scenes that like I'm like crying reading comics. Um, but it's like this incredibly <laughs> emotional moment that like Sugimoto's happening, and then I think like the next panel is like literally like Shiraishi's head like popping out of a deer butt. <laughs> and it's like a, a quick little like gag that like ends this like really emotional chapter, but it's like just seamless flowing between like butt jokes and like <laughs> I feel like the comedy in Golden Kamui is not just a selling point, but if you stripped it out, I feel like the series might almost be too depressing to be enjoyable. Yes, I agree. Yeah. It'd be yeah. so grim that you like wouldn't want to continue. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I feel like you really need that levity with Golden Kamui, which is why characters like Shiraishi exist. I feel like. What are the yeah, other things? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. I- just without humor and humanity, like, it would just be really hard to become invested in the the story. Because, like, if these characters were just malicious and cruel all the time, and the situations they found themselves were just violent and uh, bloody, then there wouldn't be any glimmer of here is what we're really fighting for. Like, it's just being mired in all this despair and uh, dehumanizing stuff. But the fact that there is humor to all these characters, the fact that there is humanity to all these characters, even like with so many of these characters being like murderous or even, or having absurd other aspects of their character, like it just makes the, it makes, it keeps the series from falling into the trap of being so grim to the point that it, it wouldn't be enjoyable because there's a reason to root for and love all these characters and you want to, to follow this story because you want to enjoy the moments where they're just having fun with each other and then you want to kind of see them succeed in their own goals in their own way. And it's like the fact that uh, the series can make you like care about you know, just uh, characters who don't stick around for a while, but like uh, characters like Tetsuo Nihei or even Henny, like just in a short span of time, even though they're not really good people. Like I, I, I feel that the series just remains enjoyable because the characters are enjoyable. Uh, that kind of derailed. I felt. <laughs> it's it's just that if the. If there's no nothing likable about any of these characters, if there's no humor to them, then 
why would you really get invested in them? Because, well, yeah, because they wouldn't be interesting if, characters. If Ogata didn't have like his fun quirks, like can we talk about Ogata? back his air. Can we talk oh, about yeah, Ogata? <laughs> but like, if Ogata, if all there was to Ogata was that he like murdered basically all his family when he was a kid, like he poisoned his mother, then he shot his brother in the back during the war, and then he killed his father, and then uh, framed it as a. Uh, seppuku like if that was all there is and he was just that grim dark character and there wasn't humorous moments like a serpa trying to make him say hina when he eats cooking or like even taste like the food she makes like if there weren't stuff like that the series would just be it would be hard to read scenes with that character but because there is like not only is that character like really enjoyable but like you have something to be invested in because you like want to see the moments where he lightens up and kind of overcomes the darkness in his character in a sense yeah for sure but yeah let's talk about ogata (laughs) ogata is such a terrible bastard and i love him to pieces anyway (laughs) he yeah no right ogata he's like such a God, like what a... He's a walking <laughs> knife cat, Gajinka. <laughs> if knife cat were a character, it would be Ogata. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, I, I can't not see that. He's such a shit starter. and he, God, like what a fucking asshole. Like Ogata is just... A, but like you can't... The worst. Help, he's the worst. He's literally <laughs> the worst. But uh, you can't help but kind of like have those moments with him where you're like, eh, like maybe... <laughs> I love him just as much as I hate him. Yes. There was actually I love to in hate the him. fandom. In the fandom, there was this weird kind of online fight where some people were getting angry at Ogata fans for like being Ogata apologists. And I'm just like, <laughs> have you ever talked to Ogata fans? No, we all think that he's the worst. Every single one of us. He is the worst. If you found one who actually is an apologist, back away there and i don't know how you found them but he has those moments where he like you know has another character's back or he like comes to someone's rescue and you're like "Mm, maybe you're okay like you're a cool guy and then he has like the next scene you're like oh god you're just such a dickhead like like he's he's such a wild card like i think that's what makes him interesting you get a sense that he's a really callous character he doesn't seem to truly care about anyone else but himself but he does have those surprising like moments where he does end up coming to people's aid, like uh, in the arc where they're at the village where all the where escape prisoners are poisoning as I knew, and there is a moment where he like has Sugimoto's back in that, but also like just him like figuring out that the men in that this Ainu village were not who they seemed they were, and the strategy he comes up with to expose them. Yeah, like I, mm-hmm. I, he has like some really intriguing, uh, fun moments like that where you got it. You get a sense of like, uh, you know, kind of a playfulness to his character that is really enjoyable. Like in, in Volume Eleven when he encounters uh, Tanigaki and he's like, "Did uh, Surumi send you after him?" And Tanigaki's like, "No, I don't care about that." But he, before he even helps him out, though, he wants to force Tanigaki to like beg him to rescue him. So. Like, the playfulness of his character, and but also, like, the fact that he's not looking out for anyone else's interests but himself. Like, that makes him such a really fun and intriguing character to follow in the series. And he is, like, he's so sharp. 
like in that scene with the Ainu, like he's the one, right, who figures it out first. Like he's so sharp and he's so capable and he's so good at what he does. Like you want him on your side. Like you want Ogata with you. But like, God, he's just the worst. (laughs) He's so unpredictable. He's like, the series is made better because he's there and you need to know what is he going to do next. Yeah, you don't really know what he wants. Some characters might have theories that, like, he's waiting to bide his time until, like, uh, Surumi's faction is too big for the government to handle, and then he'll expose them and turn them in and get, get a reward or something like that. But, like, you to this point, I don't think you really know why he's with Hiji Kata's group and what he's really after. I think at this point, he's basically been either allied with and enemies with every single major character. Yeah. Almost every character at some point, and they know it, right? And that's like part of his thing is they're like, he's a turncoat, like he could go anytime, but then it's like they can't help but rely on him anyway. I also think though that Ogata is like a really interesting foil to Sugimoto because like, like we said, Asirapa is really the only one who has like qualms about murdering lots of people like in the face all the time. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And Sugimoto, like, tries not to, but really it's just because, like, Asirpa is kind of, like, a tempering influence on him. And, like, when he's, like, in the zone, he's like, I will cut you down if you're in my way. And I feel like Ogata is, like, a much more, like, ruthless version of him. And he has this, like, weird respect for Sugimoto as, like, basically a monster. (laughs) But Sugimoto has that, um, like, he's never going to be, like, as cruel and as ruthless as Ogata is. Yeah, Sugimoto still has his humanity. Yeah, and I don't think that Ogata, I think there's something, I don't know, Diana, right? There's like some nugget of humanity in Ogata, I want to say. I feel the fact that you don't ever know what he's like. Actually, earlier somebody mentioned Hisoka yeah. from Hunter Hunter, and I feel like in some ways there's some kind of thematic similarity there. Yeah. I, to- I see it. That being said... I'm not the biggest fan of Hisoka, and I love Ogata, so. <laughs> That's fair. They're both characters who like to amuse, amuse themselves before anything else, and that drives their actions in the story and their motivations more than any other concrete goal or something that they really care about. They just want to have fun and entertain themselves. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll join up with whoever can guarantee them the most fun, essentially. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Hisoka's definitely like that, for sure. Yeah, and it's similar, right? Because, like, if Hisoka's, like, on your side, you're like, sweet, we're set. And if he's, like, on the opposite side, you're like, oh, god, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Should we go back and start talking about plot lines and things? Well, I guess the the way the story develops, so I guess about for the first you know, four or five volumes. The goal of the story is that Sugimoto and Aspera and Shiraishi, they're based in Hokkaido and they're looking for the 24 okay. escaped. I don't uh, want oof. to be a problem, but considering the listeners might yell at you for this, you've been saying, you've been saying her name wrong. It's Aserpa. Oh, Aserpa. Okay, right, thank sorry. you. I honestly, I was afraid to pronounce any Ainu language at all because I knew I was probably going to pronounce it wrong. <laughs> Which is pretty pretty valid fear. I can read katakana, so I have an advantage there. All I have to do is go and look up on Wikipedia. And it's easier to figure out how the stuff is pronounced if you can use the katakana. But yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. No that's worries. Fine. That's a good point. But yeah, Sugimoto's group, they're they're based in Akita for the first four or five volumes, uh, just 
they track down the 24 prisoners based on whatever leads they have. And then uh, when in volume five, we get the introduction of Kiro Ranke. So, so Ranke. This guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's definitely interesting. Who he's so friendly, but you know that he is he's another character that is kinda allied with his own uh interest that is just going along with Tsukimoto's group. But when Kiro Ronke gets introduced, that's when the direction of the story changes from they're all based in Akaido, uh in just this one spot in Akaido centered around Huji's village like, looking for their prisoners, and now they're on the road to Abashiri Prison to confront Nokperibo, Azurpa's fodder. I, I guess that's that's um, that's probably the most interesting uh, section of the series for me. I don't know. I, I think, um, I, I know you guys kind of mentioned off mic that there were certain portions of the story that, you know, you weren't super into. And I don't know, like, overall, or, or it might have been Lum, I don't know. I know you mentioned there were certain portions you weren't super into, but uh, I don't know, it's weird. Like, I, I feel like there there was never a time reading Golden Kamui where I was, like, bored or ever just, like, okay, now we gotta get through this. I think I think this this current arc that I'm on now, now that I'm caught up with Viz's release is probably the only part where I'm just kind of like, cool, I hope we get past this soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, like, like, there was very little I actually disliked about this series. Um... I think the the only stuff that made me kind of I, I made, made me feel kind of weird was um was a lot of the stuff with uh, Tanigaki and uh, him hanging out with um, with the kid I forget oh, his name Asoma yeah or no, when he yeah. and uh, Boner yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> which I, I appreciate it I appreciate that his name is Boner um, <laughs> um it's I I'm I'm very mixed on on that relationship. Like I think it's I think it's cute, but at the same time, it's like this is a little kid, and I don't know how I feel about some of the stuff that he says sometimes. I know that him hanging out with the kid that is going to play out in future volumes. That is going to be a larger plot point. Okay, it's one of those. It's a uh, setup for an arc that we have not gotten to yet. Mm, okay, I'm looking forward to that then. Um, but yeah, outside of those two things, like I very rarely found myself either not enjoying the story or feeling like I'm just kind of sk- feeling like I just want to skim through this part. Like I, I, I feel like there was never really a boring moment for me. I don't, I don't know if any of you guys felt differently or. I mean, we were talking about it before the podcast in the chat, but the the Barato arc is like probably the least entertaining stretch of the story and most forgettable uh there's like it's based uh around it's kind of a parody of yojimbo with like these two rival gangs he's trying to hire bodyguards and then there's some details that are like direct homages uh but in general like the reason i couldn't get that invested in that stretch of the story is just because i didn't really like any of the characters on the side of the rival gangs and I like Hijikata, and I like, uh, like, Ogata, and, uh, you know, it's kind of, some of the action in that is fine, but, like, because I was not really invested in the, the goals of either rival gang succeeding, I wasn't really that interested in, like, the lead-up up until, like, the destination. Like, the, the conclusion where Ogata gets the skin, and then he offers himself as a bodyguard to Hijikata's gang. 
Like, that was a good development in the story, but, like, everything in the arc and the lead-up to that, I didn't really feel that enthralled by, and I didn't really feel anything by the fact that, you know, the 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 kit one guy who is, like, the son of one of the, the gang leaders, you know, managed to get out of the situation with uh, his lover. Like, I didn't really feel that interested in that character, so I didn't really feel that satisfied with the end of a situation. And especially because the other characters in that were, they either had no personality or in the case of like that guy's parents were just really unpleasant and mean people who just got killed off like suddenly and unceremoniously. I had trouble with that arc myself because there were just so many new characters all thrown at you at once that it was kind of hard to keep what's going on straight. I feel like it was just... If there had been, maybe if there had been fewer new characters or if it had been expanded out long enough for me to really care about the new characters, that it might have been better. Mm, but yeah. for me, that was, it was just a bit tricky to follow and not quite as good as some of the others. And also, Bearfucker. <laughs> I hate Bearfucker. <laughs> I do. I think that arc is hard, too, because a lot of... Noda's arcs center around a really distinct personality, right? Like, so like one of the convicts or like, mo- well, mostly one of the convicts, right? It's like someone who's just like crazy and like oversized and has like something like really distinctive about them that like you're not going to forget. Like they fucked you in the middle of the woods and like you're never going to forget <laughs> that guy, right? But they wear animals for clothes. Y- yes. <laughs> like, but that Barato arc, like, doesn't really have a character anchoring it. Like we said, but, like, there's Hijikata and there's Ogata. But, like, everyone around them is kind of, like, almost like a background character. Like, they're very forgettable. Like, I really don't remember anyone else in the gangs. And so... There's the guy who looks like a horse. There is that guy. Yeah, because <laughs> their name is Ume, uh, whatever. Uh, Umakichi. I think um, that's that's really interesting to to hear all these criticisms. Not not that I like don't agree with them because I do, um, but it's interesting because I don't think I was super hard on the arc just because I I feel like I already had a feeling that all oh, these characters are disposable. Like I I already didn't like I wasn't I wasn't really like in expecting to be invested in in those characters. I. I I, th- I think it's because like I saw that arc so um and it's especially interesting because uh and I found a thread about this on Twitter which maybe maybe I'll link in the show notes from Golden Comedy Central about uh I think it was a it's a interview with Satoru Noda uh kind of talking about their in like how they're influenced by certain films and whatnot and uh, that's something else I really like about the Golden Comedy manga is that. Um, I wish I was more well versed in film in general because like I could totally tell that certain title pages were modeled after like old movie posters and stuff which even if I didn't get the references I still thought was interesting and uh I I think the arc we're talking about in particular I know is uh, at least according to the thread is um yeah it's a parody of Yojimbo yeah it's supposed to be a parody of that film in particular um so I don't know. I I think I wasn't as down on the arc just because like I knew it was kind of meant to be like this sort of action set piece, and like I feel like because I viewed it that way, I wasn't like I wasn't too emotionally invested in the characters at all. So like I feel like that's why I'm not as down on it. But like I could totally see I could totally see why you guys wouldn't be super invested or be kind of disappointed in that arc in particular. So I do feel like that arc kind of 
like stands out and it's like kind of weird that we're all talking about it because it's like a pretty insignificant <laughs> arc, right? Yeah. But it stands out because I feel like the fact that it's so insignificant is why we're talking right. about well, it. Well, the series is so even. Like, so much of it is, like, really just, like, on the same level. And that one is, like, just one of the only ones that just, like, dips a little. And you're kind of like, ah, I, like, forgot about this. Or that ah, wasn't the greatest. Here's my question. Does the anime cover this arc? Does anybody know? I think in an OVA, I heard. Okay. But... I would be really surprised if, like, out of all the thing, out of all the story beats, they had to either skip or, like, truncate. Like, I'd be surprised if they kept this one in. It looks like it might have, at some point. Ride a horse. Imperato Ogata meets with Hijikata. Okay. Yeah. So, it looks like they might have compressed it down or something. Please don't, like put this in here. I, just... I would not be surprised if, like, Actually, if no, they... It's the first OVA. It's the first OVA. So, it didn't make it into the as-televised version, but they did animate it. Hmm. Okay, I mean, I could see that being an OVA. Like, I, I would have been more surprised if they actually dedicated an episode to it, even. Yeah, especially with as much things they were skipping. Well, I, I don't know. What were your... I, I guess we're, we're talking about, you know arcs that we weren't so fond of uh, i i mentioned earlier that i really like the arc with the bears and the yakuza guys uh in particular oh, that yeah. one's I great love that, that yeah it's when they're trapped in the house and the bears are like circling around them and then they gotta figure out who might be the assassin because they found the two heads of like the guys that kiraronke was you know that he got the horse from and raced the horse uh, earlier and then yeah he kind of screwed them over because num the wrong horse won and so they got killed and now they're after him and so they got to figure out which of the two guys is an assassin after kiraronke and then they realize they figure out that oh actually both of them are uh yakuza guys but they don't figure it out really by themselves but because like one of the other guys is actively screwing over the other one, his boss, because he cheated on him. And it was, that was super funny. And I, I really liked those characters. Wakayama, the Yakuza boss, and then the his subordinate who he calls Princess. Like, they were really likable. Uh, and I was sad when they got killed off. Uh, it was, like, kind of sad. Like, they have this big emotional ending where they're kind of holding each other as they're dying and there's like the setting sun and then like uh, the page yeah. turn and then Tsukimoto's group is like well we're gonna have to skin them I guess <laughs> there was something weirdly like comedically dark about how that ended yeah they're like well time to link out the skinny knives like okay guys I've gotta say I'm really sad that we recorded this before Viz got to volume 12 because one of the most legendary and memorable in maybe a good way, depending on what you're into, arcs is in that one. And God, I wish we could have all Which one? Wait, had which one? Otternabe. Oh. <laughs> Otternabe is... You're not going to forget that. <laughs> oh, Does anybody man. here know what I'm talking about? Yes. No, but... It doesn't involve the the bat scene. I know that happens at yep. some point, but all the yeah, and then sure, I should get slapped by someone's dick in that, right? Wait, what? <laughs> in the next volume, there's an arc where the guys eat stew made from otters, ignoring Asirfa's thing saying, "Don't eat." I think it's an aphrodisiac. Don't eat this with 
Yeah, Yeah, because it's an aphrodisiac, (laughs) and then they all get, like, weird hallucinations and strip off their clothes and do, like, naked sumo and (laughs) with blushing, and it's Noda, you absolute genius. What a man. Um, Well, I can't wait to read that volume then. Um, Yeah. It's wonderful. (laughs) Oh, man. But uh, I I guess... I brought up the arc because uh, I, I wanted to know. So, are, are there are there any arcs in particular, if we haven't mentioned them already, that you guys thought were particularly good or were like your favorite? Or I think that arc that we discussed earlier on the the ranch with the three bears that might be my favorite because I like the mystery element to it. I like that. I like the action, the fight against the three bears, and even though it's like kind of sad that their debts are a joke like i do like the the characters of the yakuza boss and uh, his subordinate and then i i do th- like that they get kind of a nice sentimental ending even though it's undercut with a uh, the joke of them a sukimoto's group like kind of blankly saying well uh they're dead skin them <laughs> but that's a great portion and uh I, I i really like the portion where tanigaki is defending um well, I guess he gets attacked at Huchi's village by Nikaido and one other guy who are like... Ogata, isn't it? Because I thought it was like two guys, Nikaido and the, another guy, and the other guy died in that. And then in the resolution of that, Nikaido was like being interrogated by Surumi, and he turncoats when Surumi offers that he'll get to... he'll let him kill uh, Sugimoto if he exposes other rebels in Surumi's group. I think there was another guy with mm. him. I think. I, yeah, I he, think he you're does right. like give someone up because like Tsurumi's like threatening to cut off his nose. I think, which is like a very Tsurumi thing to do. Um, and he he turns on the whoever was he was working with. Yeah, but I I like that as a you know character development story for you know Tanigaki. It's really showing like how because he's first attack in Hoochie's village, so like he's really trying to defend Hoochie and Usama, and then he, you know, went a broken leg, and all he he has to very strategically figure out a way in order to keep his attackers at bay, even though he has a gun with only one shot in it. So he has that to... That one is stellar. Yeah. 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 That that one's definitely one of my favorites, too. Um, I, I remember the moment where, um, I think it's slightly before that where ogata uh, shoots him while they're still in the hut and uh the guy with him is like well why didn't you shoot the grandma and oh yeah Ogata's like you know I-, I liked my grandma like i'm a grandma's boy don't make me do that like <laughs> i thought that was a- such a cute like humanizing moment for him i thought that was funny yeah he's like don't make me kill an old lady and i'm like oh god I- you're like the person here who would kill an old lady <laughs> <laughs> Except for he isn't. No, see, he does have a heart. <laughs> kind of. A little bit. It's in there somewhere. Something. I feel like a lot of my favorite story moments are like really like big character moments. More like some of the action set pieces like are really good. Like I think I mentioned oh, yeah. the um like the Zeppelin or like air air machine, like that set piece where like Koito and Sugimoto are like fighting <laughs> like midair and like that's like an amazing action scene. Um, but also like some of the chapters that are just like character moments, like um Shinpachi and Hijikata like meeting in prison and then like Noda kinda like draws them as their like like Bakamatsu selves. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and there's kind of, like, emotional moment between them where they're kind of, like, reliving, like, their past and, like, the Boshin War and, like, what it put them through. Um, 
I also really enjoy um, the arc where they are trying to rescue Shiraishi and he keeps like blowing <laughs> it like every time. <laughs> that was great sequence <laughs> where they're like oh like distract the soldiers okay Shiraishi like what are you doing he's like picking a flower or something and like smelling it and they're like run and he's like do 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 ah that was, that was pretty good um what about you Diana um I feel like a lot of my favorites have already been mentioned but I've just got to be the one person who screams about how much I love Edo guy a resident Edo guy stand yes I know, I am. It's just <laughs> There's just something about the fact that you take a character who would, in most other series, be basically the worst thing you've run into, and yet he becomes both a lovable character in his own right, with a kind of moving, in my opinion, character arc, as well as a way for, for the audience to kind of fall in love a little bit more with what is at this point, probably the villain of the series. It's <laughs> it's a kind of plot arc that you wouldn't find in very many other series whatsoever, and that's what I like about yeah, it. Yeah, I see what, like, you kind of, like, start to get, like, why Tsurumi's people are, like, so loyal to him, right? Because he is so validating of these, like, total weirdos, just strange people with, like, weird grudges, and he's like, yes, like, I am here for you. Like, what do you need? You need, like, a headband with an ear on it? Like, we will get you that. <laughs> like, you, you need to, like, do a fashion show full of, like, dead men's faces. Like, I am here for it. I love it. Like, he's, like, just there, like, validating all these, like, strange people, and they love him for it. it like, makes sense. Hey, I mean, you ca you cannot say that Tsurumi is not accommodating. No, he is. He's so, like, supportive. And, like, Koito is, like, so loyal to him. And, like, why? It's like, imagine how nice it would be to have somebody in your life who appreciates you as much as Tsurumi appreciates all of his weirdos. Right, exactly. Where you're like, this is, like, the darkest part of myself, and I'm sharing it with you. And he's like, applause. Like, show me more. Like, you are amazing. There's there's weirdly something pure and touching about that almost I will say. <laughs> yeah, like it makes it makes sense like why these people stick with him. It also kind of makes sense why it didn't work on Ogata though when you think about it. Like he is not really one to like fall for that. Yeah, he's too smart for that. Yeah. Like in Ogata's uh backstory when, you know, Sarumi is trying to like kind of something, you know, we're going to cover up the what happened to your father here. You know, you can join our camp. And he's like giving him all these praises. And Ogata is just thinking to himself, you flirt. He's not really compelled by Sarumi. Yeah. Or impressed by him in the same way. He's too cynical. Like he doesn't, he can't like believe that. It'll be interesting to see in a goddess character arc if there ever comes a point where he does find someone that he genuinely cares about and will want to stick with. Uh, I can see that And finds a goal other than like other than entertaining himself that he wants to achieve yeah because all these all the faction series they have a, their goal in getting the goal extends to an ideal beyond just themselves like we mentioned it earlier but like a lot of them want to create their own nation states to take care of you know people and the way of life they value and Tsukimoto's goal is to take care of like someone he loves and also to help it later is also really becomes about helping Aspera, you know, achieve her goals too. So, and again, like looking out for someone he really cares about. So 
like Ogata is like the one character in the entire ensemble who doesn't really have a ambition that extends beyond him. So I think he's really intriguing in that respect and like how if he will ever reach the same destiny, like have the same uh, find a desire like the others to work towards. I am actually like pretty interested in talking about Sugimoto's motivation because I think we like we talked about earlier like his motivation is like kind of like small um right it's like he wants to get money so that he can help his his childhood friend's wife who's also his like childhood sweetheart right yeah so there's like a lot of feelings there and then I feel like the more the series goes on the more him and Asirpa like grow closer it becomes more about like supporting and and helping a sirpa but like i don't know like do you believe sukimoto's motivation like is that really why he's in hokkaido is to like get money for ume like i feel like he could do that in like a thousand other ways mm. i feel like he probably was looking for places where he could try and find easy money and then because of what he's been through picked the furthest and most desolate one is a kind of self-punishment. I feel like Sugimoto is kind of like a self-flagellating character. <laughs> It'd be like, this. I deserve this. I deserve to pan for gold in this stream to, you know, this godforsaken mud river to make up for, like, all the the lives I took and the souls lost in the war and how I lost my own humanity. Like, he's very, like... I also believe that Sukimoto really generally cares about, like, the people he loves. And he will... And if they are in danger and if he... Like, if he needs to do something, like, extreme to help them, he will go that extra mile. He will go, like, out... He will, like, really really fight for them and sometimes it's scary extremes like in the arc where they come across the the village where the escaped prisoners are posing as Ainu and he goes ballistic when he realizes that Asirpa is in danger and he, he starts murdering all these escaped prisoners and then like uh, Asirpa sees all this violence and he she's kind of taken aback and scared at like Sugimoto like at, at what he's done and he's like even though he's like saying to her you know Asirpa I will always be out there to protect you and he's 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 kind of doesn't really taken aback by the extremity of his violence so I think that's a huge part of his his character too that you know he he kind of can't escape that really violent warlike side of himself when it comes to when people he loves and cares about are in danger. So that's an interesting end to his character, too. Of course, Ogata is there in that moment, like, whispering in Asirpa's ear, being like, did you see all those people he killed? Like, what a crazy dude. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Ogata. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, Ogata, please. Yeah, just, just back off for a second here. <laughs> but it's true. Like, it's true. Like, the reason he's, like, Sugi like, the immortal Sugimoto, but it's not because he's, like, so lucky, like, you know, or, like, the bullets miss him. It's because he's, like... A berserker when he gets into these situations like it's he will like do anything to not die or to like help people he love and that includes like murdering almost a whole village of people like that's fine but you know it's not because he's like i just dodge danger i'm immortal it's like he goes nuts he loses it yeah for sure um yeah sugi sugimoto's uh sort of motivation really interests me just because like i, I feel like I feel like it evolves throughout the series. Like, clearly, he wants to help his childhood sweetheart. And I, I don't think that's changed. But I think it's also 
that on top of wanting to help uh, Asirpa find find the truth about you know her father and like what actually happened with the Ainu gold and whatnot and just keeping her safe and I I, I think that's really the only thing that's changed though it, it's kind of interesting to me that we don't really know anything about him like you know from his childhood or from him growing up like we only we get the we get a very little taste of like of what his life was like back in his village and how his family all died from uh they they say consumption but i looked it up <laughs> and it's basically like tuberculosis um yeah historical tuberculosis you can almost always substitute tuberculosis for the word consumption if anything is set before 1950 <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um but yeah, it's just really interesting to me because I I didn't think about this until uh, just a day or two ago. That yeah, we haven't we haven't like I like it's weird. I don't want to say we haven't learned anything about Sugimoto because I feel like we we know him as a character pretty well at this point. Unless there's unless there's there's just something earth shattering that none of us know about <laughs> at this point. But I don't know. Like it it is kind of interesting that we don't really know much about like how he grew up, and like the the, the only other thing we know about him is that he likes. Uh, persimmons nuts or whatever he he liked i forget yeah he likes dried persimmons yeah and and that and that's still like a thing that like he really holds on to from you know a, a, from the time before he was in the war like he still holds on to that emotionally and that's that really that really fucked me up i gotta be honest yeah. like i almost cried at that <laughs> I was, like tears like definitely well i feel like his relationship with the sirpa is really interesting and this is like not to like harp on the gintama comparison like too hard but like the relationship <laughs> between to, Gain yeah. and kagura i feel like is like pretty analogous where it's kind of like it's like what is it is it like a brother sister like father daughter like what's going on but like they're close and like she like tempers his violence and she kind of like is an outlet for for like of this like innocence that he kind of like wants to protect because he doesn't have it like in himself anymore and yet they're also like very partners who see like very eye to eye on like a lot of things i've just got to say one of my favorite things about it is when i first found out that this manga featured a partnership team up between a man about the age of Sugimoto and a girl about the age of a Serpa. I was worried because, oh, no, 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 no. I've read <laughs> enough manga. I know where this is probably going. <laughs> and it never goes there. Not even in the stuff that Viz hasn't Thank gotten to yet. God. It's just, <laughs> Jesus yeah, I can't, Christ. I can't, I can't take another bunny drop. I just can't. No one can. Everybody who went through that is permanently traumatized. We're just like, please don't let this be another bunny drop. Yeah, I I never got that feeling that the series would go there, and thankfully I've you know, we've been right about that. So, um, but I guess uh, I, um, I I I hate to really derail the conversation because I I know you guys probably have to go kind of soon, uh, and uh, we have one or two Twitter questions actually I wanted Ooh. to get to, but uh, before, oh, yes, before please, we let's get through them. Well, I was going to say before we get to those and kind of start heading into our wrap up, um, is there is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we get into those real quickly? Just any kind of final thoughts on Golden Conway? Because personally, I think I can say bear fucking aside, um, I think I could wholeheartedly like recommend this to anyone who's even remotely interested in reading the series. I think that. Like I said before, if you like JoJo, I suggest that you might try this, but just because it tends to appeal to the same sort of person. But on the whole, Golden Kamui is an experience 
not like pretty much anything else you'll ever get to have. I think that one thing to point out is that it really is one of the only easily accessible to people who aren't historians or ethnographers English-translated cultural documentaries of Ainu culture. Like, yes, it's a really fun adventure story, but also you're going to learn something about a group of people who've been tragically overlooked and who've gone through so much. Their culture has been so well-researched and documented in this series. Like, it's worth it for that alone, I'd say. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, while reading this, I really felt like, you know, I I enjoy manga that are both action-packed and educational, and this really fills that niche for me. And I really appreciate the amount of research and desire to depict things accurately Noda has taken. At the end of every volume, there's like a bibliography of like all the resources he's used to research Ainu culture, like 24 different sources that he's used. So I, I really appreciate that he's going into such detail to depict the culture accurately and really reveal some interesting history and culture that's often overlooked, which I think is really awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said at the top of the discussion, like, you know, if you happen to have a Shonen Jump subscription, unfortunately, because it's rated M, it's it's not on the app just because Apple sucks, mostly. Um, but, uh, I, I was able to read it through the Shonen Jump website through my phone browser just fine. Um, I, I think when I first started using it, it was kind of buggy, but I think they've kind of worked on it since then. And I, I haven't had any trouble, uh, reading it through my phone browser. So, you know, if you still want to read on your phone, you could do that. Uh, and obviously we'll leave links in the show notes for like where people can buy it both physically and digitally. Cause I mean, I think we can all agree that like, this is something people really should be reading. Uh, if you have. Again, if you have even, like, the smallest amount of interest in it, you should check it out. One thing I'd also like to point out is that, yes, we've mentioned this gets very violent in places. That's true. Yes. But within the – if you can handle the first three chapters, you can handle literally everything else. In fact, I think those are some of the most violent that chapters. That is true. Also, like, I will put this out here. I am, like, a weenie about violence. Um like, I couldn't finish Tokyo Ghoul. Like, that's where we're at. But I feel like the violence in Golden Kamui, like, really serves a purpose. Like, I feel like it is not just, like, gratuitous, like, guts and grossness. Like, I really feel like it's, like, in service of the story that Noda is trying to tell. And so, like, if that helps. <laughs> mm-hmm. And hey, if you're anything like me, where you like hyperviolence, this is for you. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah let's let's get on well, to the- i have one oh. final comment just earlier i was kind of stumbling over my words about why i found it valuable that all the characters that there was a heart in humanity series in spite of the the violence and i think there's a good sequence in the series that kind of illustrates why i find that so valuable is uh in volume 11 the story of ogin and uh, the lightning thief and the way their arc ends is like they're both killed by sarumi's group uh the lightning thief is like shot to death and then ogin is like decapitated and so they have like a kind of a sad end to, to their story 
But then afterwards, it's revealed that in their in the sack that Ogan was carrying was a baby, and Sarumi's group, you know, takes it, and then we have just some a fun two pages of them just playing with the baby, and then they think, you know, we can't really raise this baby by ourselves, so they leave it with Hushi. And it had been established for a few volumes that Hushi was feeling really distraught over uh, a Serpa situation and worried about her. And that was causing her to to be in kind of a situation where she might die of stress. But then she has this baby delivered to her. And then it's just she takes care of the baby and we just see her like singing get a lullaby. And I think this sequence shows off what Golden Kami goes so well. Just in the span of a few pages, we go from a hyper violent sequence in which two characters are like murdered by our antagonistic group here to a sequence where we see like the humanity of those antagonists and then like looking out for this baby and then delivering it to another character who is in kind of a distressed state and kind of giving a nice uh, progression to her story that was really uh, touching and heartwarming. And I think that shows the range of what Golden Conway's able to do so well with both its action its drama its humor and just the the humanity and heart at its core that makes it such a compelling read like this is not a series in which people are just killed and they are discarded and not thought of and uh, it's it's not callous at all this is a series that is very empathetic and cares about its characters deeply, even the ones that get killed off. And I really appreciate that about it. And I think that's what makes it such a really fun and even despite the extreme content of it, a lighthearted, enjoyable read. Mm -hmm. Uh, In summation, go read Golden Kamui. It's good. (laughs) Um, Very, very well worded there, Lum. But I guess uh, before we head out, uh, we uh, I did put out on the Manga Mavericks Twitter account uh, the call for questions and comments, and uh, we got we got two tweets back. And uh, the first one I want to read from our good friend and patron uh, Aiden, otherwise known as Koi Boy B Boy on Twitter, who says, uh, "Shout out to the great lettering work by Steve Dutro, both with the dialogue and with the sound effects that complement Nota's art well." Which uh, I very much agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is wonderfully done. Honestly, I think that a lot of the more recent Viz editions have been better than a lot of other publishers lately, I have to say. Like, they've done some great work, but Golden Kamui is just... I'm one of those people who is unfortunately cursed with the eye to spot bad kerning wherever it exists. (laughs) And when something is too far up or too far down, I really wish I did not have this talent. It makes reading any kind of comic book really hard because I see where it goes wrong. But Golden Kamui doesn't really do that for me, like, almost ever. Uh, Yeah, throughout my reading of Golden Kamui, I... Definitely hadn't hadn't noticed anything that I thought was egregious. Like I definitely agree, the lettering and the dialogue are both very superb. Um, just in general, I think Viz has really come a long way uh, from how they operated, you know, like ten or fifteen years ago. Um, their lettering has been pretty much superb uh, since then. I think uh, since their Shonen Jump days, especially where it's like I'll, I'll read like 
Saint Seiya or something, and it's like the lettering just like takes up most of the art, and it's really jarring. And I'm, I'm really hey Viz, retranslate and reissue Saint Seiya. This is the voice of your conscience talking. Maybe Cancer Death Mask can be called by his real name to say nothing of uh, Sauri. <laughs> Oof. I'm sorry. I'm a Saint Seiya fan, and the state <laughs> of the releases of that series in any format in the United States makes me sob and also <laughs> grateful that I can read Spanish oh, and French. No. Yeah, no, I feel like Viz has done a great job with Golden Kamui. I also really appreciate that I feel like they have given this series it's due in other ways. Like, I remember when they were starting to release some of the early volumes, like, as a like put on my librarian hat here for a second like i remember getting like publisher weekly emails and stuff and i saw ads for golden comedy it was like this is new release and like i like appreciated that um like it was up for an eisner like last two years ago and like i feel like they have done a good job like really putting behind something behind a series that i feel like sometimes they're more hesitant to put a lot of marketing behind a series that has a mature rating um, and I feel like they have done justice to Golden Comedy. I really appreciate that. For sure, for sure. And I guess our, our only other uh, Twitter question, comment, whatever, is uh, something we got from at K Possibles, who asks, what is your favorite dumb Shiraishi gag joke in the manga? Oh, I have one. I have, I have one, one hands down. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I wonder if it's the same one. Okay, Diana, uh, go, you go, first. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Diana. My favorite running gag is that whenever some guy is not wearing any clothing and you would see his crotch, <laughs> they use Shiraishi's face as a cover-up. <laughs> that is pretty good. That is amazing, but it is not my favorite. My favorite running Shiraishi gag is how he gets caught in every animal trap that they set. Like, <laughs> they, like, set a trap for, like, a fox and they come back and Shiraishi's, like in it with his like little paw and he's like ah! and like they, I think he even gets like squished by like a rock that's meant to catch like essentially like mountain hamsters and somehow he like gets like nailed by it and is like ah! and they're like oh my fucking god <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what about you Lum? my favorite is during uh, when Shinraichi is, is explaining like his history with uh, Chonan Gomegishi and then like this story of him like wanting to find this nun after breaking out of prison I love the running gag about him just getting in the crosshairs of soldiers and then like pulling out hey it's Shiraishi and him getting arrested over and over again <laughs> <laughs> the way the chapter ends with him like having the dream about Tsukimoto killing him and so he br uh, escapes out the window to run away and then he immediately encounters the 7th Division who says, hey, it's Shiraishi! <laughs> and arrests him. Like, that entire... I love that running gag so much. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, I really like that entire like flashback we got of him and I, I really don't want to spoil the, the joke because I think you need to... I think people oh, need to read it for yeah, themselves. Yeah. But something I'll I'll at least say this. Um, it's not like the punchline, but it's one of my it's one of my favorite like small page turning punchlines in the entire series so far. Where um, he he gets the guy to to draw him a picture of this nun, and uh, he's like, I don't need this. What am I going to do with this? And then immediately on the next page, he's fapping off to it, <laughs> and it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. It's just. 
so goddamn funny. Um, I laughed so hard at that. Um, and I, I the the other one that I thought was really good that I wanted to mention was uh, I think it's when they're tearing bark off a tree or something, and uh, um, Aserpa wants to give it an offering, but they don't have anything, so she's just like, "Hey, Shiraishi, give me your candy," and he just starts whining. <laughs> God, his, like, the fact that he carries candy constantly and that whenever somebody needs it, he gets sad. (laughs) There is, like, on some of the early chapters, like, I was flipping back through the first volumes and some of the early title pages have, like, it's, you know, it's like Sugimoto and, like, his equipment, you know, and it's, like, his gun and his coat and whatever he has on him, his ammo, then a Sirpa, and it's, like, here she is and her bow and her boots and her, like, I knew, and then it's, like, Shiraishi and, like, a bag of candy. Like, <laughs> literally nothing else on the page. <laughs> uh, so good. Um, I I meant to tweet about this in my thread, but I, I didn't. I haven't had the chance to. But um, I, I like the part of the story where because uh, it cause th- there's a running thing with um three with three title pages. I forget what chapters they were, but uh, I I love how there's a certain title page of like all the group getting ready to like go rescue Shiraishi. And then throughout like the next couple of title pages, they get just they just get like less and less motivated to help them. <laughs> uh, I thought that was some pretty amazing stuff too. Um, probably some of my favorite title pages in the series. Um, but I think we could probably just stop there because honestly, we could probably fill an entire podcast of just talking about how funny Shiraishi is. Um, <laughs> Um, but that's really about it for uh, Twitter questions and comments. Thank you to everybody who sent those in. And uh, I think that's going to about do it for this discussion. Uh, Thank you, Diana and uh, Kelly, for coming on. This was really fun. And we'll hopefully have to have you on the show again sometime. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, And I guess before we head out to the actual wrap up of the show, um, I guess uh, we'll we'll let you guys plug your stuff. Uh, Diana, why don't you go first? Okay, my Twitter is at Silence Drowns. It's like, it's lyrics from King Crimson's epitaph, mm. because of course <laughs> like, it is. <laughs> is that a JoJo reference? What? What's that? <laughs> I love JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I talk about that a lot. You don't say. I, yeah, I'm a cosplayer. I'm about to go on a trip to a convention in Italy because Hirohiko Araki is a guest there. Hell so, yeah! So um, if you follow me... If you follow me anytime in October, you will get to watch me live tweeting my emotional breakdown. (laughs) Definitely go follow Diana for sure. That sounds like it's going to be amazing. I'll definitely be keeping up with that. And uh, you might want to turn off retweets for me. I share a (laughs) lot of artwork. (laughs) Um, I appreciate it personally. Um, And uh, Kelly, where can the people find you? Oh, yeah. Well, you guys can also find me on Twitter, I guess, where like the world lives. Um, my handle is at Kelly Cute, Q-U-T-E. Um, I am a children's librarian by day. You can also find my writing on the Barnes & Noble sci-fi and fantasy blog where I do book reviews and I write a lot about manga. And I also have my own podcast, One Panel Later, with my friend Angela, which is like in- on indefinite hiatus right now, but will definitely come back. And we're going to be super excited about, um, I am not going to meet Araki, so I'm sorry (laughs) if my Twitter feed is boring. 
But I'm um, sorry I dropped about I'm sorry for dropping a bomb about that thing. I like can't <laughs> compete with that life, but I do tweet about manga, so like hit me up and chat with me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mama and I cannot emphasize enough that like we both really enjoy one panel later and is a it's 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 a really big reason why we wanted to have you on because we really enjoy that podcast. So we'll definitely leave a link to uh, the website for that show in the show notes because we really do think it's worth a listen. Thank you so much. All right. And then I guess, uh, Lum, you're ready to wrap up the show? I am indeed. Thank you once again to Diana and Kelly for coming on the show to discuss Golden Kamui and gush over our favorite characters like Agata and what makes the storytelling so fun and fascinating. It was a great series to read and it was a great series to discuss with some great people. Can't wait to read more. Indeed. In terms of community shoutouts... First off, I do want to give a special shout out to Ash at King Cocoa Butter for continuing to do some really great streams on his YouTube channel recently. And recently I happened to be on one of them where we discussed the Wano arc of One Piece and we'll include a link in the description. There were a lot of people uh, on the stream, including Gabi from The View from the Top, the Haikyuu podcast, as well as Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime podcast, who has been on this show before as well. And it was a good conversation about some of the problems we've had with the storytelling in One Piece recently, and then specifically in the Wano arc itself, some of the strengths we feel it has, some of the weaknesses we feel it has. It's a good conversation, and I highly recommend it. In addition to that, though, we're coming up on the end of the year and the end of the decade. And so now it's time to kind of reflect on what were the best comics of both the year and the decade. And luckily, there were two really excellent lists published by The Beat, which kind of gave an extensive list of recommendations for both the best comics of this year and the entire decade. And several of the recommendations and entries on the list were written up by previous guests on the show, Morgana Santilli and Erica Friedman. And they recommend such manga as Our Dreams at Dusk and Beastars. And we would highly recommend you give these lists a check out to see, hey, maybe here are some comics that, you know, were pretty notable for the medium, pretty stand out that you should go check out and get caught up on and read. Definitely, I got a lot of great recommendations reading through this list and seeing like, oh, here are some of the best of the best comics that have come out within just this year and in the past decade. So definitely give both of those lists a shout out and highly recommend them. But we have a lot to look forward to as we enter 2020, including discussing those lists and a ton of other things. And I think that wraps up this episode of Manga Mavericks, though. We still have one more episode coming out this year, our long-anticipated episode on Anime NYC, so there will still be that, but otherwise, this will be the last sort of regular episode of Manga Mavericks this year, and I thought it was a pretty good one. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, I think originally, and not to pull the curtain back too far, but... uh, 
We originally wanted to uh, record an episode about uh, Dragon Ball and kind of have that be sort of the last episode of the year, but uh, scheduling has been a real nightmare on that one, um, to put it lightly. Um, but uh, we're still planning on recording that, hopefully within the next month or so, so that'll probably come out in 2020, hopefully around January, around the end or so. But but no, I'm 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 glad we were able to um, to get our Golden Kamui episode out because I I think uh, originally when we were kind of scheduling out our podcast or whatever, tr- trying to get back into the swing of a a biweekly schedule, sort of. Um, you know, this was this was one that we originally kind of had to push back, but uh, so 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 it just kind of happened to work out that we were able to release this. Uh, you know, before uh, before the end of the year. Also, for anyone who's wondering, you know, as far as our Yu-Gi-Oh! episode is concerned, uh, we obviously did record that. Uh, I haven't gotten around to editing it just yet. I'll probably start on that, hopefully near the end of the month here, and uh, that will be out in January. I do want that to come out soon, because uh, we had a really good conversation with uh, with both Jason Thompson and uh, Brandon Bovia in particular, and uh, I really can't wait for people to listen to that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to be starting off 2020 with two really big series discussions, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Dragon Ball. Yeah, we're going to start off the year pretty strong. Um, and uh, we should, I guess this, since this is our last regular episode of the year, we should probably also mention that, uh, you know, ahead of time that, um, you know, for any for anyone who follows us on, uh, on Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, uh, obviously, for those who follow us, you will see that we have finished our first Manga Mavericks Book Club read-through of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 1, Phantom Blood. All three episodes of that read-through are out on the Patreon for people to read if you want a more complete read-through. Uh, I had a really fun time recording uh, with Grant on that one. I do want to get back to JoJo's at some point, but we're not going to do that right away. Again, I'm, I'm still kind of working out what our next read-through will be because, uh, Essentially, that that won't that's not going to come out right away. Uh, we do kind of have plans for what we want to put out uh, as far as a bonus podcast in uh, in January. But uh, until then, you may be wondering, well, what's coming up for December? Well, uh, actually, we are going to be recording a special uh, Shonen Jump 2019 retrospective podcast with our good friend uh, Maxi Bernard, a friendship effort victory. Uh, we're basically going to be talking about. As much of the Shonen Jump lineup as we can, um, we're going to be sticking specifically to everything running in weekly Shonen Jump. Otherwise, this would be a much longer podcast if we, if we included anything else. So, um, yeah, we're basically going to be talking about at least everything that, like, all three of us are reading. Uh, you know, kind of talk about how we how we feel about Shonen Jump over the past year um, and whatnot. So... That'll probably be a good lengthy podcast for you guys to look forward to. You know, again, if if you're not signed up for the Patreon just yet, maybe maybe sign up soon at the at the five dollar tier. Uh, that's basically where you'll have access to at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month. And uh, yeah, that's basically our bonus podcast coming up at the end of uh, December here. And so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to putting that out. Uh, that'll be out on December 31st. So just in time for New Year's Eve. You know, if you, if you don't have any New Year's parties you're going to, why don't you spend your New Year's at home listening to us talk about Shonen Jump? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to recording that with Maxi here soon. So uh, yeah, just thought I'd let people know about that before the end of the year here. Look forward to that. And uh, yeah, I think we should just end the show. And uh 
We should do that by plugging our own stuff. So Lum, where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter, and it's Lum Ramayasha a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Annulist Revelators of Lum Ramayasha. That's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on all-comic.com. We got a lot of those coming out very soon. Yeah, definitely looking forward to some of those in particular. But uh, yeah, definitely go follow all alum stuff. Check out their reviews again at all-comic.com. And uh, as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I host and produce a lot of other podcasts, uh, which you can find the links to over at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. I have a specifically dedicated page to basically whatever podcasts I'm doing at the moment, including this one, uh, Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, which is on a hiatus, unfortunately, but still I leave links to uh, that show in particular if anyone's a fan of Gintama. Uh, if you're a fan of Case Close or Detective Conan, uh, I leave links to One Podcast Prevails, uh, and as well as uh, The Poltergeist Report, which is a Patreon-exclusive podcast over at the uh, Ask Backwards Enemy Podcast Network Patreon at ssanetwork.com. Uh, I basically talk to Doctor about uh, Yu Yu Hakusho as he goes through the series for the first time. Um, so if you have a if you have a dollar on you, you should go listen to that. We have every we have about thirteen episodes of that available. I think at the time of this recording, so we've, we we we're pretty well into the dark tournament uh, arc here. If you're interested in hearing us talk about that, so there's that, and uh, that's really about it for all my stuff. Uh, I guess as for all comic in the podcast. You can find every episode of the podcast over at all-comic.com. Again, unless you are a uh, patron over at our Patreon, again, at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. I already talked about our bonus podcasts and whatnot. But, uh, you know, if, if you don't have as much to give, you know, you, maybe you could sign up for our $2 tier where basically you'll get early access to basically whatever podcasts we have edited, uh, depending on when we have them edited. I, I know for, uh, for, for, for certain people, you know, we... Uh, we did upload our um, our Stephen Koza interview uh, at least a couple days early before that was on our main feed. So basically, if you want if you want the chance to listen to certain podcasts at least a couple days before they're on the main feed, you want to sign up for that tier again at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. And then so moving on from that, you know, if you want to follow us, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all dot comic or on twitter.com slash all comic underscore. Uh, but if you want to follow Manga Mavericks in particular, you want to follow us on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks, or follow us on Tumblr at MangaMavericks.tumblr.com. Again, both sites are good for basically the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel over at YouTube.com slash Manga Mavericks, uh, where you'll find access to particular news pieces, uh, any particular reviews or whatever, uh, and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, what do you think about these new jump series, uh, Zipman and A Gravity Boys? Uh, do you have any thoughts on, on the news we covered? Uh, what do you think about Golden Kamui? Uh, or, you know, is there anything you want us to read and cover on the podcast? You know, just email us anything about your thoughts on the podcast or manga in general. Again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com, and we will read them on the show. We haven't really gotten any emails in a while. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, artists formerly known as iTunes. Uh, it uh, really helps the visibility of our show, really just helps us grow in general. Um, so if you have the time, go ahead and do that. Leave us a five-star rating if you so wish. 
And that is going to be about it for this episode of the Manga Mavericks. This has been episode 107 of the podcast, and we will see you guys next time on episode 108. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.